Welcome to Auto Catch Up. Uh, this week we've got another blockbuster week of news. Uh, actually, we've got a, a week off from Formula One, but there's been a whole ton of new tracks added. Um, we've had some pretty big news with Mercedes changing their Australian dealership model to fixed pricing. And um, yeah, I, lots of really interesting news. And uh, to chat with me this week, we've got Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo back as always, and uh, Mick McWilliams at Low Flight Tech. Welcome, gentlemen. Evening, gents. Hi there. All right. So, uh, look, it's uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've had, had you, Mick. Uh, last last week, you were attending a little bit of a, an emergency at home. <laughs> yeah, um, emergencies, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but what have you been keeping up with uh, on the road? Uh, so I didn't get to talk about the Kona EV last week, which is a shame because I kind of have a lot to say about it. Um, and I've got this week uh it's kind of intermediary brother in the ionic plug-in hybrid electric vehicle so obviously both of these um have batteries which store power and then use that power to create motion for the vehicle to move and this is what electric vehicles are in general uh, and obviously the difference between the two is the plug-in hybrid electric um ionic has a petrol motor which is a 1.6 uh interestingly mated to a, a six-speed dual clutch transmission rather than what seems to be the norm with most uh hybrids they'll have a um a cvt in there somewhere making things all gooey and and sloppy uh whereas really the ionic as well because yeah. The DCT has been one of the the troublesome parts for Hyundai in getting into the 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 Veloster N overseas and locally the yeah. i30N. So it's really interesting to see that they've already got a DCT in in the Ionic. Yeah, well, I think I think that's actually, it's actually got a bit of a uh, it can cheat a little bit there because uh, I, I know when we were talking about this previously, you know, the Ionic with the um, electric motor usually. It relies on the on the EV side first, and then the engine will kick in later. I think it yeah. gives it a bit of a free kick for DCTs because you know their problem is that they're a direct, like a normal manual clutch type arrangement. Mm-hmm. When it's mm-hmm. connected, it's connected. There's no there's no real slippage. Well, yeah. there's there's minimal slippage. That's the idea of it. It's a it's a direct type drive. Um, but with the electric motor, you can get things going first. You don't have to worry about that, that first. Um, contact straight from takeoff with the DCT because you've got the electric motor to get things running first. Mm. So I think so it sort of makes so it a little bit easier that, for the DC, yeah. DCT to be tuned there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's not, it doesn't have, like when we're talking about things like the Veloster, um, either end performance, i30N or, or whichever, um, you've got a lot of high impact torque coming through those particular engines, you know, you got um, a lot of stress being put on the drivetrain there. Whereas with the, with the electric motor, um, you can program that aggression out of it. Mm. I mean, you can do so it, you can, you technically you can do it with engines same, as well. But. Do you think they're taking the lessons I've learned from the Ionic DCT and obviously the a few things that they can take away from that and have brought that over into these end models or do you think it's the same transmission that they've put over with some tweaks um to get some you know get some economies of scale? Uh, to be honest i don't really know enough about them um to be able to, mm. to comment on that directly the only difference is that um i know this is a six speed rather than a seven um so sort of one cog down um but obviously i mean they're going to take some sort of knowledge out of it 
there's something they've done with the Ionic with the plug-in hybrid electric because the way that you can immediately kick in the DCT is you can put it in sport mode. So there's no sport button as such, but when you shift the the shifter over into, into the sequential position, so take it across to the, I think it's to the right, um, it immediately goes into sport mode and immediately starts the engine and you're you're ready to go it's actually really perky and very sporty which is which is kind of hilarious because how many cars have you got in before where you press the sport button and you're like what did that do aside from make my gauges red you know but, but with this one if you can and i did it i deliberately tested it i'm going to put this i'm going to video this one um before i take it back um Oh, uh, so if you have it with the same, keep the throttle position. Joel's, uh, Joel's place. <laughs> <Is that right? laughs> um, so if you keep your, your the throttle in the same position, so you just put your foot on the throttle in one position, mm -hmm. and you put it into sport mode, the car will take off. I mean, that's I that's the greatest that in indication the of sport well. mode working. Yeah, I, 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 I exp I've got the Kona this week. Um, yeah. I picked it up straight after it's you. A good, and... It's a good package in terms of what they've done with it and what they've created. I think it works mm. really well and they've designed it. And it's probably precursor to even the end series of product for them. It's, you know, they've, they've thought about it in advance that people may want to have that little bit of fun in an electric car and why not put it in? Yeah. It's, it's well, hilariously, yeah, it's the plug-in Closest to a Formula One car, you've this got the most dual clutch transmission, a hybrid system. Um, you're just really needing that turbo six, and you know, <laughs> you've got the sensibly well, priced you know when the car. So you know on yours. So on the on the Kona, you've got the mm. the little flappy paddles on the back that adjust your regenerative braking level. Yes. So when you put the Ionic Fev in sport mode those regenerative braking paddles become flappy paddles for the DCT. So you start changing right, gears okay. instead. Yeah, that's cool. Is it, yeah. is it obvious in it is very that cool. change sort of, uh, you know, sometimes car makers don't do a great job of going, oh, this button now does this function. Does it, does it do a good job of communicating no idea. to you? Or? No idea. No. Yeah, okay. No. <laughs> because I was, so the minus button, is an increase in the regenerative braking resistance. Yeah. Yep. And it's and it's also shifting back a gear. So you're going from mm -hmm. fourth to third, for example. Yeah. So I was coming up to an intersection and I hit the flappy paddle trying to increase the regenerative braking, yeah. which is what I do when I normally drive um, hybrids. You know, just use that as the brake instead. Mm -hmm. But instead, it kicked back two gears and I went faster. So yeah. um, <laughs> no, they didn't tell me about it at all. No. <laughs> so but once I knew about it, it was really good. So have you driven yeah. – so I, I assume you've driven the electric model, which is the most expensive model. Yes. Have you driven the hybrid, yep. like the pure hybrid? I have. I have, okay. which is also so, a DCT as well. Yep. So, so out of those three, so in, in, in terms of those listening at home, so the Ionic hybrid <laughs> is kind of like the entry level and its price is kind of between 39000 to 44000 or 45000 drive away. Yep. The plug-in hybrid is 46000 to 52000 drive away. And then the um, the pure electric uh, model is at fifty three to 58,000. So they kind of space them out fairly reasonably in terms of their pricing point. But what do you think, having drive, driven all three now, do you think is kind of like the real, the ideal pick out of those? Because they're all quite different fundamentally. Yeah, I, I reckon the plug-in is because, okay. so, so the plug-in version, it's the only thing that is the, the detractor from any battery 
based vehicle is the additional weight. So I don't really like the fact that it's got extra weight, but it's not as heavy as the EV version, obviously. Um, with the EV version, and I found this with the Kona EV as well, you got truckloads of torque and nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's yeah. it overcomes the front wheels very easily. Yeah. Uh, I think I said on Instagram, Talk you know, what do you do? Do you sorry? Talk to you. In the Kona, uh, yes. I did yeah. I do the get. We've had a bit of rain. Not in, here, not in the Ionic. What's that? Not in the Ionic. You don't get the torque steering. Uh, no, no. So it's not quite as powerful. So in the in the Kona EV, you've got a 150 kilowatt uh, electric motor with 390 few, not 395 newton meters of torque mm-hmm. available when you push the button. You know what I mean? As soon as you just turn it on, it's there, ready to go. Yeah. Uh, the plug-in hybrid electric is, I think, a hundred kilowatt. No, it's not even that big. I think it's 100 kilowatt in the full EV version of the Ionic, so it's not as grunty as the Kona. Um, but the plug-in hybrid electric, it's got grunt, but not enough to try and torch the tyres immediately. And yeah. with the Kona EV, when you start torching, actually, it didn't. Did you notice, um, Ash, if it was actually trying to cut in any traction control or anything? Because I was turning a corner, like I was pulling out of an intersection in the yeah. Kona EV, turning right, and I gave it a little bit of extra. Um, bootful and it started spinning the front wheel. I just I let it back a little bit and thought I'll just wait for the traction control to cut in, and it didn't. And then I went, oh, I should have cut in by now, and I gave it a little bit extra, and then just keep. It was a bit of an ugly burnout noise, and it was a little bit wet, you know. So <laughs> it looked, it sounded a little bit um, discombobulated. But yeah, look, I've it, we've had a bit of rain over the weekend, so oh, yeah. most of the time it's been. Um, very easy to overwhelm like even as you're cruising along like a say you're at 40 and you want to go up to 60 and you just drop your foot um you will get like a a good half a second of wheel spin before it sort of catches up and goes ah yep cool i found the traction um i do find that it does take a little while for that traction control to to really kick in unlike other even performance cars where it almost feels like it's almost instantaneous that the traction control is going oh, i really need to manage this and and, yeah. and get it down so i it's it's not as bad as what i experienced in the in the santa fe um that i drove just before picking up the kona the <laughs> i took it to the v6 one yeah. Um, so I had the, the V6 Santa Fe petrol um, yep. in the Highlander spec. And going through um, some parts of Tawang, it's a very, um, very hilly um, suburb. Yep. And coming up to a upper hill and turning left, it wasn't raining very hard, but the roads were wet. And I could not move. I was stuck. I would, I would start to accelerate the wheels would slip and not even the traction control would would kick in i was spinning the wheels and not moving anywhere um and i had to come to a stop again hit the brake and just almost do like a you know how you kind of accelerate when you're doing like a low range kind of movement um yep. on sand or anything like that that's yeah, yeah. how it felt like i had to try and take off i couldn't just unlike any other car that you probably drive in those sorts of conditions <laughs> yeah. where you, that might be just, a hyundai thing because i had i got bogged in my front yard with the with the sonata <laughs> so it got a little bit of front wheel slip and it wouldn't move i had to get my father-in-law to push me out 
Yeah, it was so, a little bit slippery, but anyway, yeah. So yeah, I that was probably and and I had a friend of mine in the car at the time, and we were both equally shocked as in like, how on earth can, <laughs> can I not happen? move? Like, you know, it wasn't like. <laughs> It was just like a normal road. It was it was wet, but nothing that you'd go that you'd just be sitting there spinning your tires and not even having the traction control like freak out um, when yeah. you know you normally encounter that type of situation. So I don't know. It's a, it's a really interesting thing. I've experienced it a few times. Even my mom, who's driven both cars, had that comment to me today, um, saying like, "Oh, these yeah. these." Even, you know, when you're moving, they, these like to spin their wheels. Um, and so, yep. you know, part of me goes, oh, I'm not really complaining. But at the other time I'm going, mm, maybe is the toy, is, is, does the, the traction control need a little bit more tweaking um, to, to minimize how much like free rain it gets before it kicks in? Or yep. do tire choices need to change a little bit for our roads? Um, well, that's where, that's where I come up with for the EV. Yeah. So for the Kona EV, was what's the answer there? Do you do you nerf the motor, which I wouldn't wouldn't want no, them to do, no. um, or do you get better tires on the front? And this mm-hmm. is one of the arguments that I was going to um, bring up as well: is your your tires on EVs? I mean, I understand that when people initially were looking at EVs and saying, okay, which one gets you know which one the uses the least kilowatt hours per hundred kilometers, where who gets the longest range and the differences are, you know, incremental in, in some cases and quite small. It's the same as, you know, buying a car that does 3.4 litres per 100 Ks rather than one that does 3.6 litres per 100 yeah. Ks because yeah. you're saving 200 mils of fuel over a, mm. a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of a becomes a bit of a null and void argument. The same with if you add another 10 millimetres to a tyre mm. or to each corner, just to be able to better deliver performance from mm. the available torque mm. that you have, mm. I think that's a sensible trade-off, which I think they should probably look at. Yeah. Look, and it's something that I can probably have a chat to Hyundai and um, maybe someone like Bridgestone. I know that uh, the, the PR um, guy from Bridgestone yeah. has started following us. So if, if you're listening, maybe um, we can do a bit of a a play around in because I think like what you're saying is exactly right normally a lot of the hybrid or electric vehicles have a EV eco tire orientated designed at maximizing range and lowering resistance yeah and you know so particularly with these cars like that Kona electric it's a it's a great EV and there's a reason why they've sold a hundred thousand of them now even you know at that sixty to seventy thousand dollar price point and so what is the trade-off, particularly once, you know, the Kona EV is at the point now where range anxiety is less of a thing. Like, I haven't had to think about or worry about range since Friday, um, you know, even with doing a bit of driving. And I think that's such a great thing with an electric car that you don't have to really worry about range too much um, that you're thinking about it every day and trying to plan ahead the next day. Yeah. So I wonder what, you know, once we're starting to get, you know, now that we have EVs like that and even the Teslas where we're going, okay, we've got good enough range, what can we do to improve and really um you know, get the most out of the out of the performance that you get out of these cars now, and 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 it's not like yep. because it's 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 not designed to be a performance car, but the thing is that it's got the motors that make it faster in terms of you know how they get the <laughs> it, torque delivered it's fast. You know, it, it is it's, properly fast. Yeah, and so it's like how much better would that experience be? Because also like that Kona Electric, 
it's it's a comfortable car, but this it's an extremely hard ride. You feel every single bump, um, and so I wonder oh. even if. Oh, you do. I've, that is the number one comment that I've had um, from passengers in that car. With a really, yeah. Okay. Um, I need to so drive it again. If you know, playing with uh, playing with tires, um, you know, can help not totally change that experience. Unlike you know, changing a suspension setup or anything. Um, but even something mm-hmm. like that. Tell you can, no, I would have thought improve. that they would have had some local involvement with the suspension so it's weird that uh, yeah but the, the, the issue is though um is that it weighs as much as uh um, yeah. as a, it weighs as much as a santa fe fully loaded yeah because it's got such a big battery so they've yeah, got to have yeah. firmer suspension to be able to arrest that mass yeah um it's just a you know it's a consequence of the configuration it's a high riding mm. Um, so I don't some, think there's any much fatter, you can do to get around get it. Some, get some taller tires on it, um, performance oriented tires, and you know maybe just completely own that you have kind of a little bit more of a sports car kind of suspension feel, and and you know at least get you know allow people to perhaps you know get the most out of that performance you know, that's available, particularly when you hit that yep. sport mode button. Yep. Um, well, especially but, when they have a, especially when they have a dual motor version coming yeah. maybe yeah no so yeah it's it's been good the maybe. santa fe i um <laughs> yeah i really enjoyed um that was a a well i think i think the highlander they've, they've hit a really great combination of of specs and um and overall feel i'm not too sure it's about pretty. that 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 cloth like um i don't know what you really call it but it's kind of like a a meshy type headliner. Um, I don't think it, I, I quite liked oh. it, but the color and everything just didn't really quite work, but it's so much better than having a standard roof liner or even, um, you know, some of the other solutions I've seen some people play around with. Um, I'm trying but, to think now what it looked like. Yeah. So it's like a, <sighs> let me try and look up. It, it, it's, if you if if you if you walk into a store a a, a furniture store in Byron Bay and you look at some pillows and it's like a loose um, mesh type <laughs> um, material that's kind of maybe what I could describe it as it's not with a little bit of a tighter thread but yeah that's that's what I think of anyway <laughs> when it's there and yeah it's quite nice but maybe if they went a slightly darker color to match the rest of the the black interior. Um, it could have worked a little bit better, but you know it's better than a standard, um, a standard headliner that you that you normally get. That's quite hard. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yep. But the panoramic roof is huge um, and really nice when you get some nice weather, or even driving at night with the rain. Like that was such a great experience where you could just have that roof. Um, yeah, isn't it cool? All the way open. Um, performance overall, apart from just a little bit of loss of traction, the engine is the perfect size for that type of car. Um, the The sound system is pretty good. The, the passenger space overall is pretty great. I do like that the third row of seats, if you don't need it, you basically can just totally forget that they exist because they just fold completely flat into the floor so you get a normal boot um and even yep. if you don't well, that's want... one of the 
that's one of the three row cars that we've had where we didn't even bother putting a third row up at all. Yeah, the kids yeah. were just happy like, as is. Really? They're I didn't happy. tell them about it, but who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah they were happy. Which was so at to, first, no. my, my only thing that told me that there is a third row is just that how the uh, the seatbelts are tucked into the to the boot um, into that rear cabin area. But and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, there are three. There are indeed three three rows there and um and you pull up the little mat that they have and then you go oh yeah there they are um but yeah i think it's it does a great job um of being a, a solid did you get flashed with a bit more flexibility did you get flashed by oncoming traffic no did you I did all the time constantly yeah really because the headlights were sitting um, higher than usual. They were like people were flashing me. I'm like, I don't know, I know. It's just too bad. <laughs> so I don't know, but I don't know whether they. I did mention it um, to the guys when I handed it back. So mm-hmm. maybe they adjusted the levels adjusted or something. The, but yeah, yeah. Um, yep. yeah so oh, I'm looking at that um, color headliner. Mm. It's kind of like yeah, speckly grey. I see what you mean. I like it. Yeah. It was it was certainly like the God, first thing that I noticed when I hopped in. I go, oh, yeah, this is a nice change um, compared to what you normally met with. Um, it, yeah. it was kind of like one of those roof liners that I would have expected to see in that denim like model of the venue, which they have. <laughs> like it would have been perfect. For oh that. yeah, they didn't do it in that, which was really. Now that I think of it, now that I know that they've got it you know, in their factory somewhere that they go, oh, maybe that's a weird omission or or maybe, you know, very early on they go, oh, yeah, this is the spec we're going to go and somebody maybe nerfed it and said, nah, that's just a little bit too much denim, um, you know, denim style. <laughs> the it, that would have been, been a lot back yeah. up. But, and now they're going, oh, look, what are we going to do with this? And, oh, let's whack it in the Santa Fe. Um, but, yeah, did look, the, I, I really um, Did it. the windows annoy you? The windows? No, not really. Um, auto, auto up, auto down, only on I one know. window. Yeah, look, it's, <laughs> I think I put the windows up and down once and that was it. Um, being winter, you know, having the heated and cooled seats was amazing. The steering wheel got extremely, like, it, it was enough to be, like, just on the borderline of being a little bit too warm. Um, but it was like, it was, we had some really cold mornings last week and it was just a great, um, really nice little addition, um, to have, but yeah, like I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. It's, um, sorry, I was just going to say, um, that's, that's the most faint hearted criticism I think I've ever heard. <laughs> My steering wheel heater was almost just kind of a little bit, maybe kind of too hot. <laughs> you, you've got a rough life, you have. <laughs> that's, that's terrible. Are you okay? <laughs> look, anybody, look, I, I reckon if, if you if you suffer from a little bit of arthritis or a bit of stiffness stiffness in your hand, the steering wheel is just it, it's just right for you know to warm your hands up uh, nice in the morning. But, it's got to be therapeutic, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe you can get a you know if, if you're struggling to make a choice, you just go to the doctor and say, "Yeah, I need the I need the heated heated steering wheel out of the Santa Fe to convince your partner." Um, so you go, "Look, here's the medical certificate. You know, it's, it's legit." <laughs> Doctor's note. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, look, and the pricing's fairly good for the Santa Fe. Um, yeah, it, it's 
for for what the size is, um, I think it leaves a nice gap for that palisade to to slot in above it too, without getting um, too expensive either. Yeah, that's the question. Is where yeah, is that, yeah. where is that palisade going to sit in terms of pricing, and what will it do? It's getting into you know the the, the top end of the Santa Fe is now sixty sort of eight grand. Yeah, you know that's big money. I think I think it's a world it is but it, low well, if, it, if like it starts late sixties to yeah. early nineties for the three. If you if you have like three models, I think that's where it's gonna be. So it's ever it's Everest pricing yeah. kind of in terms of where it's gonna sit, which makes it quite good in, in that market. But it makes other things, you know, as we've talked about previously, we've got um, you know, there's new Asuzus coming and we could see mm. a possible update with the MUX. Yeah. Um, and if that comes in, then, you know, that could sit under that price, you know, for another seven seat of the Pajero Sport is also in there. We will lose the Arcadia, you know, in terms of holding with what they're doing. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. But, yeah, I think the Santa Fe is sort of well-priced for, for what, what it does in where it sits, but what happens to... Um, uh to everything else in that in that market really yeah but um but look i think i think he and they have done quite good job in terms of their pricing all around with the suvs that i've driven lately like they've they've been very um some some manufacturers tend to have a lot of overlap and 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 could possibly create a bit of confusion as to what model they really should be looking at for the price point which they they want to be in um but hyundai have kind of really well segmented the different sizes and and just have that little bit of overlap in those in in the top model to the base model of you know as you step up from like tucson to santa fe and then and and across everything and even you know they've done it with the ionic and how they go you know the hybrid the plug-in hybrid and the electric um and so yeah they've, they've put themselves in the best possible position from delivering a a pretty good product across everything that we've driven recently like we haven't really had too many critical things to say um that detract from a, a, a passenger or driver perspective um the economics are working out well when you look at the servicing cost um you know yeah i, I think it's uh it's, they're, they're, it's they're no doing surprise where they are in the yeah. market yeah absolutely yep but uh but Joel, i guess they you... even <laughs> There you go, gonna sorry. I was going to say, uh, so, Jolly, we're, we're entering another, it feels like every week, you know, we're heading into an, uh, an interesting period with uh, Victoria and, and COVID. So hopefully you've been uh, been keeping out of the public and uh, keeping safe. But uh, but how, how have things been uh, down your way from, from your little world? Yeah, it's been a tough week. We've had some sort of bad numbers again, and unfortunately the... Look, we're not we're not seeing the numbers like you know as a lot of people have said we've not seen the numbers like the US is getting um, and you know exponentially getting worse. We're sitting in a, at a level level number, um, which is which is you know kind of some comfort at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, look, it's hard. Um, I was lucky I got to go get out during the week. Um, I did do a quick little job for a client, which was good, but all easily to do with safe social distancing. We now have to wear masks down here. So that's mm-hmm. an interesting experience. But um, I did get my wife's car service during the week and um, uh, it, 
I managed to their their loner for the week was a or for the day was a um, Holden um, uh, Holden Ute, which was uh, which was cool cool to drive. So um, I haven't driven one of the. Um, uh, I haven't had a, a ute as a, a sort of a, a loan car um, for a while. So, you know, I was lucky enough to get a Colorado, um, not a Holden ute ute, which has been a while since we've had one of those. But, yeah, I had a, I had a Colorado for a day. But as I was saying to during talking to Mick sort of offline during the, during the week, it's been a while since I've had the chance to actually drive one of those. And that 2.7 uh, Duramax engine is really, really good. It's really punchy. Um, and after driving sort of my daily for a while, after being in and out of, you know, press cars for a while, it was nice to sort of be in something different, but yeah, that Duramax engine is, um, it's pretty impressive in the way that it pulls. You wouldn't even think that it's, that it's a diesel. It's, uh, it's, it's more, it's more petrol. Um, they kind of feel the way that it's sort of performance and stuff like that. So it was kind of nice to be in something a little bit different for, for the short time I was sort of out driving during the week, but um, I had more fun during the week um, as readers for Daily Auto Fix might have known. I've written up a little bit of a story about the the Mustang Marquee, which we'll talk a little bit later about in the show once we get to international news. Um, mm-hmm. So it was nice to sort of get behind the keyboard and write some stuff and uh, I spent some time watching that. And then I spent a little bit of time um, playing the uh, the Formula One uh, game as well. So um the new Codemasters F1 2020. Um, I had a little bit of time during the week to, to, to get behind the console and play that. And that's, uh, that, that's impressive uh, in terms of what it'll do and the, the car options that you have uh, being able to play with. You know, you can drive everything from, you know, from V12 Ferraris to, you know, the, the classic McLarens and Benettons mm-hmm. that Schumacher drove during his era. But then it was fun to drive um, current cars on current tracks. So I jumped behind the current McLaren and, and drove Singapore and the ability to uh, to turn on DRS and and things like that was uh, was pretty cool, you know. Uh, trying to, I was trying to work out when I was playing it during the week, when was the last time I played an F1? One game uh, on console, and it's been a it's been a while, but I can't remember what platform it was on. But it, it's uh, it, it was certainly fun. Um, I've only had a very brief foray. I I, I started the game up and, and literally went into. To, to give me time trial, I just want to drive some stuff. So, um, you know, you just you just want to drive some cars. You don't want to, to to worry about the career mode and stuff like that until you've got some serious time to give it. So, um, my plan, hopefully, is when I have a little bit more time up my sleeve, is to to get behind it and uh, and try this career mode and and some of the other stuff that this game has to offer because mm. this new you know F one twenty twenty is is pretty cool with what it'll it'll offer and the abilities of stuff that you can do with it and it just having a quick look in the in the menu setup before jumping into so literally just running some quick time trial things is it's uh yeah it's 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 very very impressive so um yeah I, i'm intrigued to see what that kind of offers yeah with the with the lockdown still continuing for at least another couple of weeks it's going to be um a while before i get behind uh anything but hopefully i'll be uh bringing you some more cool news and stuff uh in the meantime whilst i um have a little bit of uh quiet time away from it so yeah look it's <laughs> the last um 
last F1 2015 Oh, last F1 game I uh, played was in, in 2015 um, and uh, playing through that career, it was still when uh, Williams was still quite competitive. Yeah. Um, so through the through the, um, the the career mode, I've been working my way through, even, you know, up until recently, working my through, way through the career as Bottas, um, still, ah, nice. still fighting for, for podiums. Um, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, man, a lot has changed since uh, 2015 even. Yeah. Um, but I've been seeing a ton of great... Um, great things about f1 2020 not only can you you know create your own character but you can actually have your own team and race against everyone so you have a field of 22 cars you can hire and you can fire drivers you can choose sponsors and earn sponsors and everything like that yeah and it's like and, a 10-year um, career mode which is yeah. also pretty cool to be able to to do things like that as well yeah, so I think there's there's also quite a few updates going out. Obviously, as um, the Formula One season has been evolving, um, there's there's you know we're learning a lot more about where each team is kind of where they're at in terms of performance. So, um, Codemasters are in amongst um, you know <laughs> working out their liveries as those liveries continue to change. Um, but also, you know, tweaking the performance to get it a little bit more balanced and a bit more reflective of where the season is at as well. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, the um, fact that they've also allowed you to have um, the Netherlands circuit, Zan- Zanvoort uh, and VNM's Hanoi Street Circuit, um, yeah. you know, the, the the team mode as well, allows you to, like you said, Ash, to create a driver, choose a sponsor, an engine supplier, hire a teammate and compete as effectively the 11th team on the grid is is pretty cool so yeah this is all stuff that i really want to get but oh the other thing i i got i had a quick play with as well is um is f2 um i actually jumped on and and had a quick run with an f2 car around circuit america of america um which was which was pretty cool to um have fun with um the former two car is is pretty cool. So uh, I was excited to have a bit of a play with that. Sounds pretty cool um, in terms of the layout and stuff like that and just the engine noises and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's a bit of fun. Yeah, well, it's um, well, hopefully, uh, yeah, it'd be uh, be good to to get you back driving. But um, yeah, but yeah, there's certainly um, I think a lot more to to learn, and and obviously, yeah, take the and hopefully everyone as well listening, if you're in Melbourne, taking the precautions that you need to, um, to to keep safe. So, yeah, it's uh. <laughs> Go from there, but let, let's uh, let's tackle some local news. There's been a couple of big ones um, this week. Probably most uh, prominently, um, and and probably the most the biggest impact to a lot of consumers um, is the. Mercedes um, dealer overhaul. So they've, they've flagged this, and it started with the EQC um, with articles back in 2019 coming through that they plan on changing how um, consumers buy and experience their vehicles, and obviously that's that sales experience that comes with it. Um, but the biggest thing is is that basically under the new model, which they expect to to come to, you know, I guess to be completed within 2022, it's changing to like an agency model um, where dealers, I guess their future is a little bit unclear on how that's going to really be. But 
at the end of the day, for a consumer, um, the vehicles are going to be fixed price. You won't be able to to go in and negotiate on a car, um, but basically you you can fill out an order online and turn in and pick up the car from uh, from the location of your choosing and. There's certainly advantages to that, and, and Mercedes have um, have come out in the past and defended it by going, look, um, they they want to improve the experience for customers by going, look, we don't want some customer to to get a great deal, and then um, somebody else realizes that they didn't get as good of a deal as the other person, and you know feel a little bit of buyer's remorse or feel a bit of animosity to to the brand, um, but also the, it comes at the expense of, well, if you can negotiate better well should you be able to to get a better deal on your car um and you know will this make you think if you if if you know that you can go and negotiate at another comparable brand i guess the question is will you be more likely to go to that other brand compared to just going well i know what the price is for the mercedes let's see if i can get a better deal um or even you know a sharper deal from a from a competing brand that you know wants to you know, and I put this in quotes, but you know, fight for my business, um, and yeah. So, so that's so that's basically the, the key thing. They started with the EQC, um, the, their electric SUV. Honda have um, a similar plan in place for next, you know, so sort of next year. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's an interesting transition. And uh, is this? Do you think it's going to work? Look, it's an interesting move in terms of, I suppose they're trying to simplify it. It's interesting reading the story, which we've we've read on Go Auto. The agency program started last year with trials in Sweden. It's now in operation in Sweden and South Africa, and it's starting this year in Austria. Look, they're they're three different markets to Australia, and I, I just don't know how well it will go in Oz. Um, mm. Obviously, the way that Mercedes have, particularly, you know, speaking from Victoria's point of view, the dealerships are all very big here in Victoria. They're all very flashy. They're all they all look amazing. Um, you know, if they're going to simplify this process, uh, and uh, there is a sort of a, a showcase store in the city that Mercedes have in the centre of Melbourne, uh, are they really going? to you know is it really going to succeed uh, it, it's kind of it's weird that the first kind of couple of lines of the story is it talks about the franchising laws in australia and that mm. if they change then this may totally change in the way that it's going to work and they make reference to the eqc uh system which was handled by nine dealers acting as effectively as agents but Look, that's fine for one model, and we know that Subaru and Toyota and a few others have, have done it where they run an online model, online system for a particular model. But for Mercedes-Benz, I, I'm really intrigued to see how it would work. I mean, look, it's two years away. They're talking that it's 2022, but mm. they're going to do it. But I I'm just don't know how well it'll work. Because um, also we have specific laws it's a, in it's Australia. It's a big risk, really, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, well, they yeah, also, and, and also they like I mean, negotiate their dealer um, contracts as well because the, the one of the big yeah. challenges is that if you're a supplier to to a retailer, you cannot set the price um, of which you know that real retailer has to set you know sell the no. item for. It's it a recommended it retail price. Their ability to earn more money. 
exactly so you know and that's deemed to be illegal um so part of that switch to an agency i'm sure is is going to help you know curb you know that risk how eager dealers are going to be for that i i don't know we'll have to talk to a few um and and see what they think because obviously this this is taking out um and taking away potentially opportunity um, for those dealers to, to make money. Now, that's a good thing and uh, I can see also as a, as a bad thing, um, particularly in, in more high-end luxury cars. I know of plenty of people that, you know, you walk in and you definitely don't pay sticker price um, for for the vehicles and end up walking away with a pretty good deal because that dealer wants to move that model on. But, um, and there's been a few models yep. that have recently kind of like BMW where they've increased a few prices lately. Mercedes have done that and people are going, oh, well, you've increased the price and now you're going to introduce fixed price. Um, yeah, it's and it's also it's it's a big shift for I guess the Australian culture of negotiating on a on a car. There's there's usually like we don't have a huge negotiating culture on on absolutely everything. Like we don't bargain, you know, uh, unlike other cultures around. But definitely cars, houses, and I kind of like put in like big electronics purchases. They're kind of like the key three things that a lot of people expect to be able to negotiate on, and it's going to be pretty. Yeah big culture shift as well um for people if you can't do that all of a sudden yeah i guess i don't don't know how you being so young ash is like connected with your older generation in that regard for for negotiation Mm. but um but i mean like you look at um iphones iphone is a fixed price yeah set by the manufacturer that's what you pay if you don't like it yeah go buy samsung or whatever but, In saying that, though, Nick, that's 2,000 versus 20 to 60 to 80 to 100,000. So, yeah. you know, when you're spending more money, people will still barter yeah. over a TV or a washing machine or things like that because they know they have the ability to. The Apple stuff is yeah, fixed. But, good, but, but still what that does, it ends up, it spreads your, so it, it stops people doing shopping um, through different zones. So they hmm. do, so if you have a, a known population density and you, and you know an X value of that particular population density is going to buy an X number of phones and you know how many phones you're going to sell and exactly mm. how much money it's going to be and how much you're going to make out of it. It takes a lot of the guesswork out of whether or not it's viable to be able to invest in that particular product for that particular zone and that density. So it it makes the investment question a lot easier. But at the same time, it reduces your ability to be able to create greater profit for whatever location it is or whatever product that you're doing. So in the same, it's just, it's the same thing with the car. I think I don't know whether people are used to doing that type of negotiation. It's the same as us when we talk about driving a car. You know, it's it's something that you get from experience rather than something that you necessarily want to do. Yeah. Now, I, I don't think a well, lot of the, people are even used to or have well, the capacity to negotiate. With the, with the, the Apple start. example, with the Apple example you, you've, you made a really good point where Apple have found, you know, it, it's the pure, it's, it's the age-old economics problem of finding the exact right price point for the volume of which you want to sell. Now, Apple aren't trying to, to completely 
own the market. They 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 only want to find people that are willing to spend the amount of which you know their product costs. And so they've slowly tweaked that price point and introduced appropriate models to fill in those gaps to to sell the volume of which they want. Um, to, to the market that deems that that you know is a good price and on top of that they've got a product that a pretty solid number of people go that's desirable enough i want that and i'm happy to pay that price now is that for an automotive vehicle where we do have so much competition is each Mercedes-Benz model desirable enough to command a fixed price? Would you go, if that's what it is, if you'd like it, you'll buy it. If you don't, you'll move on. The question is, is and you know they've obviously done a lot of research into that, um, or you hope that they have in each of the, and this is why they've been looking at one market at a time, is to work out exactly you know, are the price points going to be, you know, going to generate the volume of which they want um, for the number of vehicles they want to sell. Now, Mercedes-Benz aren't going to be selling Toyota levels of vehicles, but at the same time, they are selling a lot of cars. But how much of that is price-driven versus, you know, the product desirability or the product quality um, and do they align at all? And we'll probably see that maybe they take a huge hit in sales at the beginning because they don't get that pricing right. And it's going to take a little bit of time to adjust that pricing to find it, um, you know, to find that exact point which it works for them. But the problem is once you do that, unlike the technology industry where you have a few key dominant players within the automotive segment, like like we're constantly seeing where, you know, brands like Hyundai are slowly pushing into that more premium. We've got Genesis moving in. You've got a lot of product and then it used to be really slow, but it almost feels like rapid product development coming through for automotive vehicles. And, you know, almost every year we're getting a fairly significant facelift or introduction of features that completely realigns, you know, where those pricing points fit in and, and where the buyers are going. So, yeah, it's I'm, I'm sure a few economists and accountants have, have been working over this a lot um, and... I guess right up until 2022, they'll be seeing if this is going to work out or not. Um, yeah. But I reckon Mercedes well, are trying to be a leader, really, at the end of the day. They've decided yeah. that they want to go out in this route. I mean, they've, they've set a goal of 2022, which is yeah. two years away. I, I'm thinking that maybe, maybe they've looked at the Apple model and looked at it being one of those things because it is a desirable brand and it is one of those niche brands, yeah. you know, can they go out and do this? So it's obviously a tech. And, and, and we've seen the adjustment in the model of, um, we, we talked about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago, but the discussion's still going on where BMW are going, potentially looking at going down a different route where it is a, you buy the base vehicle for a set price. It has all of the features built in, um, to that, so if it's heated seats, um, auto headlights, or you know, all of those different luxury features are built in to every single model, and you essentially 
as pay a, to switch as it a, on. As a, yeah, you, you pay yeah. to switch that on. And if you go to I sell apply. the vehicle, you can turn it all off or turn it all on and all that kind of thing. Um, so maybe, you know, this is where we're going to see a few car companies actually playing with changing their models pretty substantially because there's a you know there's been a huge number of factors that have kind of forced their hand in a little bit where you know COVID-19 we've got um the the business models like Tesla which is similar to to the Mercedes one where they're dealers but you know the agents where you buy the car online you pay the set price and um you know, you just turn up to to the pickup location and and drive the car away. So it's it's going to be a fairly exciting time, I think, to see some brands get it wrong, some others get it right, um, and and but yeah, we'll see if any brands kind of you know how much of an impact these wrong moves or right moves really do have at the end of the day, or do people just not really care and slowly we'll go back to a to the model which we have now. Yeah, I don't think uh, it's it's not really a, I mean, it, this is obviously going to be beneficial in that it provides clarity to the customer. They know exactly what Absolutely. they're going to pay for and what they're going to get. Yeah. Um, the downside is is the dealers. And I, I guess by removing the dealer and creating the agency model, there's, I guess, less pushback on whatever you're doing because the central, whoever the smarty pants are at the, the central headquarters will be analyzing the numbers and seeing yeah. whether or not that price point was, mm. was the appropriate one. Um, but it removes the opportunity to be able to create more profit and money to be able to adjust when you need to. So yes. the, this, the downside of surety is the lack of flexibility. Mm-hmm. And if you're um, having worked with companies before that have been controlled from other parts of the world and working for a um, um, for a customer, you know, or being a customer of, of one of those um, centrally based um, corporations, it's it's difficult to do anything from your location when there's a thousand other nodes of businesses or agencies um, that all serve that same central point. You know, you've got to, if you change one thing here, yeah. it's got to be assessed for changes that are going to be incurred in other places and other mm. locations. Mm. Um, it's, 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 I think it's fraught with danger. I don't know whether or not they're really in the right environment to be doing that at the moment. I mean, 2022 is, is two years away, but another way to look at it is, 2022 is only two years away. Yeah. That's that's some pretty well, big thing, changes. Like, I mean, there's going to be some franchise owners that will yeah. not be happy. And that's the thing. So, and, and I was talking to, to Joel about this offline before we started recording is that what's in it for the dealers? And, and I, I know that dealers do not have the best reputation at all across all levels of um, the, the market, entry level, prestige everything you know dealers do not have a good reputation but at the same time usually the <laughs> it's got to come back to service ashes it's got to, you've got to have a really strong service and follow up so that you have your owners coming back religiously you know the follow up that i get from we have two different brands in this household and and i get two different kind of results from from the service feed back from them you know i get one that will ring me when the car is due for service and kind of effectively sort of push you in to say look you know are are you ready to have it serviced and and it's an easy thing to say 
Yep, no worries. Book it in. Can I do mm. a loan car? Yep, we can do a loan car. And it's an easy yes to sign up to do the service, right? Yeah. Um, I think I think it's going to be really hard though for dealers if, it, like uh, Mick was saying, if you're going to a fixed price model where they know, let's let's say for the EQC, they know they're going to make a set fit fixed amount of profit and then obviously the a part you know a payment to then deliver that vehicle when the car is 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 you know when it's picked up that there yeah the, the question will be around well what's the incentive for dealers to keep investing in their dealerships to keep investing in the staff that staff those because the thing is is that larger dealers like your city dealers are buying more vehicles than your smaller dealers and so normally with that you know it's it's like you're buying per, your purchasing power the more you buy the cheaper it is and either you build that into your profit margin or you reinvest that profit margin in into your facilities and your staff and the experience that you can deliver. Now, so all of a sudden, if you're going that fixed price model, what's the incentive to keep, you know, huge maintenance costs of maintaining the large dealer and the presence and the service level if the small guy down the road who you know, is getting the same profit advantage as you and is not investing the same amount of money? Um, so, you know, and, and that's the, you know, that's the the good and the evil sides of, you know, having dealerships is where normally you can get a good deal because they bought 50 cars um, and all of a sudden, you know, the manufacturer gave them a discount of, you know, $1,000 of each vehicle. So they can use that to either give you a better price or to reinvest that and, and give you a better customer experience. Because the thing is, is that, you, you can't, inc- you know, and, and our shopping, our supermarkets have, have gone through this um, this problem, you know, recently and still dealing with it now where they were all touting about the improved customer experience. You know, we've got more staff, we're refitting stores, but we're also at the same time de- delivering you a fantastic price as well. And that just doesn't equate. You either offer a high price and give a high level of service and high level of um, of experience and it's fairly universal no matter which store you go to or you offer kind of like an Audi model where it's a it's a lower level of service at a lower price and it's it's a bit more basic you know you got to pack your own things you'll pay a surcharge on your if you use your credit card um, so you know and the prices you know they have your specials but you don't have you know the cycle of specials which the largest stop shops get because of the the amount of which they're purchasing so, yeah. I just like to pretty... reiterate there, you're talking about Aldi, not Audi. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Aldi, <laughs> <laughs> you really German mean the supermarket, yeah. not the German car. I'm not on the L. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, right. But yeah, so like it's 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 a really interesting thing from a number of different levels, from a consumer point of view, from a business point of view, from an economic point of view, particularly with the amount of uncertainty we have. Um, and you know, I think the first indicator will be how Honda goes through this because we know that they've um you know they've had a pretty tough time 
at the moment and they're drastically changing you know how their dealer network is and by by significantly cutting the amount of dealers that there are um but also going to that fixed price so i think you know, maybe Mercedes will be in Australia in particular, maybe not other parts of the world, but looking at how does Honda make that work and, and can are there any lessons that Mercedes can take from that to, to help make their Australian implementation of this fixed price agency um, set up? work a bit better or land yeah. a little bit softer in terms of, you know, its impact on consumer experience. It's just a, it's just a big risk doing the, co- the cookie cutter solution mm. on a, on a global scale. It's just fraught with danger. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, you know, yeah. And look, it, it can take, it could be a huge win. Um, like I'm, I'm not sitting on either side of this one. I'm going to sit directly on the fence of going, this can either blow up spectacularly and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Mercedes sales numbers are just come to a grinding halt. Um, or, you know, who knows, we might get in the next two years, some incredible models from them and it doesn't matter what price they're charging because people want them. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just really curious to see and, and how BMW and, and, Audi, the car maker, um, how they respond to this as well. Do they do they adjust um, their you know do their economics and economists yeah. and accountants look at it and go, oh yeah, that that's going to work, or do they take a you know a slightly different strategy like the subscription kind of um, you know buy buy the options you want and leave the rest that you don't. Um, you know, I, I think how the others respond would be a good indicator of how it goes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm against the the idea of, like I said, you know, having a, having a cookie cutter model for for everybody. I think that's going to remove the flexibility required for, yeah. for dealers to want to be a dealer. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be, I mean, you don't really get a great deal of the, the same sort of um, family dealer type arrangement you do get with some brands. I don't think that's mm. a that's a mm. big thing with. Mercedes. I'm happy to be proven wrong there, but um, I, everything being run by a centralised authority, I just it, it it doesn't sit well with me. Because there are certainly you, brands you need out that there with enough of um of a enough product demand that the price they set is merely indicative and they either sell for that or they sell for more. Porsche is a great example. Ferrari is a great example where the demand, even right now with the, the factory shutdowns, the demand is far outweighing the the supply. And so I know that our Porsche dealers up here are just like, I'm sorry, if, if you want to do a, you know, if you want to do a factory order, that's you know that's the spec price you know that's really you know if you want the car that's the price you'll pay there's not really much room to negotiate because somebody else will be willing to step in and take that spot for the full price um and so they don't have to operate fixed price because when that demand slows down a little bit and maybe factory allocations arrive or they do have a demo to clear they'll adjust that pricing to move it on and get another one in um same with ferrari they they usually do a very good job of going look you're not going to get your car for two years so how about you jump into one of our used models uh-huh. and you know we'll do that trade in when you get in so you, you get into a ferrari right now you get to experience that and then oh wow look at the new, your new car when that arrives um 
you know, but they don't have a fixed price because obviously not every car is going to sell at that fixed, you know, at that recommended retail price. But it le- it leaves enough room to move when things are good. They sell it at a good, you know, at the price they want, and then when it slows down or if they have a little bit of a gap, they they can yeah, still keep that stock moving the, through. Um, I mean, don't you think though that the Mer- the Mercedes the Mercedes brand <laughs> is too broad? So when you talk about brands like Ferrari yeah, and yeah, Porsche, and that's what that's what I mean. Good. Like they, it is. Whereas, yeah, a lot of the Mercedes-Benz stuff is people are buying these family cars because they want a family car and they want something that's nice Yeah. rather than oh, I want something that I'm going to um, park in my land room and yeah. surround with a um, you know, with a light show or whatever yeah. or put, I'll park mm-hmm. it in front of my fountain. Yeah. Um, and Mercedes-Benz, they do have those types of vehicles, but they also have things at the other end of the scale, which are, mm-hmm. um, I don't think... Are the a lot same more of their cars type. are becoming bread and butter in that premium end of the market where it is like you see class you see plenty around a class you see plenty around um yeah. but yeah the, does that just because they're selling in volume right now doesn't mean that yeah is it desirable enough to just cop it on the chin and pay full freight that's the that's the question yeah they want to become that brand they want to become mm. that type of brand yeah where it's uh, it's a buy off the catalog type thing. Mm. Don't know. We'll see about that one. But let's let's jump through some of the other news that we have. So um, so this is we're going to shift to to mini. Um, so the 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 little brand <laughs> that's connected to BMW, um, because I've partnered up with the Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts, um, to support emerging screen creatives now that you know, look you could probably say that this is a, a pretty good time to be supporting um you know the i guess the small and big screen with um some of the challenges which are, are faced with covid right now um but it seems to be all about with a a, a, a pitch about charging creativity it's about the new you know connecting with you know the great the great synergy of the mini electric um hatch which they've just launched um but really it's about if you've got a short film idea and you want to turn into reality the 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 actor pitch charging creative creativity competition is um the way to do it i think uh yeah it's Pretty exciting. So it's, it's a good one. It's, I think it's probably well timed at the moment. Probably mini supporting mini films. That's yeah. <laughs> did somebody get that? That would have been a um, an interesting um, I got a PR meeting. I think when someone would have went, oh, minis and mini films. This is amazing, and they would have just gone on with it. But that's a smart. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and it is like you say though, uh, and as well because it's not just. Um, the fact that like short films are typically more uh, expressive and arty and mm-hmm. definitely on the more creative end of the spectrum when it comes to yeah. to films and that that definitely fits in with a mini brand very much because they're certainly a more expressive type of vehicle they're not your like we're talking before about cookie cutter and bread and butter type vehicles they're definitely a more expressive one so i think they've probably hit their um their market and their audience very well here it'll um there, there is certainly a, a really good synergy I, I have been to marketing 
meanings before and now it's synergy means. So <laughs> one of the favorite words. Um, but yeah, it, it's really good to see this sort of stuff popping up. Um, you know, we had the, the Lexus one we talked about a few weeks ago where, you know, they're supporting business pitching and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, these rather than the brands using their um their marketing capital and their all their activities around building um just their brand and getting people to understand more about their own brand they're actually creating some motion and some some movement in the in other areas mm. you know you know mm. what i mean they're sort of because there's a lot of stuff at the moment that is just very static and everybody's still and they're not doing anything because they can't go anywhere. Um, I like this sort of stuff. I like where they try and encourage people to, um, you know, use their heads and do things that they're actually good at because not everybody is always about cars. They should be, but you know, that's okay. People can be different. <laughs> um, but, you know, you know, getting people to enc- encouraging people to do things that they're good at is, you know, a great way to, um, um, to make people feel good about themselves. And when you feel good and when you feel confident, when you're doing things and making some activity, that's more likely when you're going to sort of, you know, make the move and buy another car or something like that. You know, it's, it's getting a little bit of confidence back in the community. So yeah, it's a, it's a good strategy. I like it. Yeah. So look, it's, uh, I just closed it. Um, but if you, if you, if you do know someone in the, in the short, you know, who is a short film, um, maker or you know, is a student or wants to study to film or wants to be, <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the prizes, the grand prize, um, for, for the pitch is $5,000 cash, $15,000 towards the production of, of their short film. So it's a pretty healthy budget for a short film, um, complimentary mini electric hatch vehicle for the duration of the shoot. So, um, depending on how you work out your accounting, you, you might probably stretch that shoot, um, <laughs> out as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, tickets to the 2020 actor award ceremony so obviously uh, i'm sure there's a big asterisk around that in terms of uh depending on covid um and then yeah. obviously you get uh feedback and mentoring opportunities um with the people who are who are judging um the the uh, competition. So if you want to, to enter, um, you need a draft script um, that's inspired by the mini charging creativity manifesto um, along with some other supporting materials. So, um, yeah, so they say that entry should also include integration the, of that their new electric hatch vehicle in some manner. So obviously there's some, you know, you work out some some product placement somewhere. Um, and they do... There's going to be 5,000 versions of the Italian job for sure. <laughs> That's right. Um, I'd love to see a short film one where maybe it's uh, the alternate take where the you you need to charge the mini um, you know, to keep the plot moving of the <laughs> overall right. grand movie. Um, or maybe the creativity, you know, something that goes down whilst you're charging, waiting for the heist to, you know, to kick off. And it's like something, you know, it's like a side story that kind of happens um, whilst it's happening. Maybe that's a, there you go. There's, there's a free, there's a free pitch for you. Um, <laughs> but look, so you, you do need to be part of the, um, the, the actor, like sort of the Academy Thing. So it's like a 50, there is a nominal like entry fee um, for that. You can be a non-member. They just charge a slightly higher um, entry fee. But look, entry is closed 12th of August um, at 5 p.m. And yeah, if uh, if you do send something off, uh, let us know. It would be uh, interesting to see what your uh, pitches were and 
yeah see where it goes but look uh so mitsubishi um they've announced uh, some timings and updates to their suv range now we know that mitsubishi are very much an suv brand now compared to uh you know years of late um so look it seems like they they're having a pretty big summer um of updates so um yeah eclipse crossing in in the end of 2020 and then all new next generation outlander in 2021 so that'll be king because we we have mentioned the outlander at the moment is kind of getting on an age um and yeah so there's i guess some 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 good updates nothing there's no real um real meat and bones in in, in this but you know it is showing that mitsubishi perhaps they've been a little bit sleepy at the moment in terms of product updates but there seems to be some things in um in the pipeline to to look forward to um towards the end of this year and obviously next year yeah i, I drove the uh the eclipse cross last year i think it was maybe the year before um and it was a it was a rental. It wasn't um, wasn't a press vehicle, so I only had it for a mm. couple of days. Uh, I was really surprised at how it, it just had a different feel about it. I mean, you know, they there was a lot of hype about how advanced it was and all that sort of stuff, and it had some fancy different controls you can do. So you like put two fingers on the mouse pad and push it forward to do your volume up, which is kind of gimmicky, really. But yeah. Overall, the the actual vehicle was really good. It just it did exactly like I needed a car to get around. I think I was in Melbourne at the time, um, and it just did the Melbourne um, traversing. I got lost a few times because I didn't know where I was supposed to be going, and, <laughs> and a few other things. So you know, you're sort of darting around a few streets and all that sort of thing. But it was a really, it's a surprisingly really good vehicle. It, it hasn't had a lot of traction. Um, Strong in rental. I guess the CVT. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's 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 quite a, it's quite a good vehicle. Like it just it feels different. It feels like a, um, it it feels out of phase with everybody else. Mm. I don't know whether if, whether you can say it's like a completely more advanced feeling car because it's not really like that. It's not old like other cars or anything. It just I don't know. It had its own character to it, which I was which I was quite surprised by. Have you guys had a play with it at all? No, no I haven't had a chance one, yet. I've driven ASX, but I'm very keen to drive an Eclipse Cross and see what it's like. Yeah, I've seen yeah, a few been... on the road. Um, <laughs> most of them in that like that Mitsubishi red, like that ruby red kind of colour. Yeah, yeah. It's the ones yep. that I've seen a lot of. <laughs> That's a pretty popular Mitsubishi color, that one. It is a very nice color, though, I it guess. Um, it works but well. But, yeah, I definitely, definitely put the um, Eclipse Cross above the, the ASX. I mean, the ASX is a um, pretty basic, though, competent kind of um, regular commuter's car sort of thing. I think the Eclipse felt a little bit more special than that. It's strong in the rental um, market as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Mm. But it'll be good to see what the um, how the update goes anyway, and yeah, definitely Outlander the update for that. I can't wait for them to yeah, I'm cream, to come up with a new. Very keen to see what they do in terms of what it changes and how it changes. Probably a facelift and anything else in in within that range. But yeah, it'll be quite interesting to see how that changes from what has it has been. Mm-hmm. Well, Hopefully, um, I well, I assume it would, but. I just, I just hope they keep the 2.4 with the um, plug-in hybrid electric vehicle mm. 
<laughs> well, um, I think I think yeah, I, I, I want I want to see where they went up to the two point four the last uh, with the last start. I think it made a big difference. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to see where the um where their hybrid technology oh, goes. That's... Are they going to keep that moving forwards um, and keep improving that? Um, you know, extending that range, creating you know a little bit more leeway in terms of that acceleration gap that you have from using the pure electric than you know to where that engine kicks in. Yeah. Um. You know, they're yep. they're, they're the things that I'd love to see keeping on improving because that's going to make that Outlander plug-in a lot more desirable over. The yep. traditional engines. Um, it just depends on obviously with COVID nineteen and everything. You know how aggressive they are in progressing that technology research um, compared to obviously the investment of the basically ground up redesign, um, which they're they're saying they've done. But yeah, yeah. But look, if uh, family friendly um, SUVs are not really your thing, but you do kind of like an SUV style mini um, with a ton of performance, uh, the John Cooper Works Countryman. Uh, oh, I love this like thing. A, you know, it's it's a very well proportionately macro sized mini. Um, with a ton of performance. So they've done, um, they've, they've tuned a lot of things on this. They've refined a lot of things compared to the previous model. So um, you get the the front and rear design has been updated. So obviously you get the, the lovely um, and iconic uh, Union Jack rear headlight, uh, rear, rear taillights, um, which just look awesome at night. <laughs> Our rear headlights. Um, yeah, so they, they look great. They they came yeah. in, in in the updated hatch and and um and Cooper five door and um as they've been rolling it out, it just looks great and it's a great way to 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 be able to tell the different models apart whilst also being very clever in how they've done that. Um, but the new standard LED headlights are obviously very much welcome in the JCW. Given you know, I don't know why halogen exists anymore in in a premium type of car, um, but they've also updated the fog lights as well with their with their design probably something that is sticks out to most people with their you know who who are wanting a jcw is the sound that comes with that and they've done a brand new specific um exhaust system uh for the jcw um see as they call it for pronounced sportiness um whatever that really means for an exhaust system um just tell me it's either louder or angrier that's all i care about Um, really (laughs) that's it so as always, you get the in, in the in the country. I mean, you get the eight-speed auto transmission, as well as the all-four traction system. So that basically means all-wheel drive. Um, so particularly in a car like this with a little bit more power than normal, um, you're getting the you know the best of everything with the power going to all wheels. Um, new digital cockpit display, and, and um, yeah, it's it's due to land here at the um, the end of uh, 2020. So yeah, it, it looks. They good. will sell five million of these. Over. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> they, well, I don't know if they, they'll sell that many of the JCW, but it it does look fantastic. Yeah. But even just like the low riding um, Mini is such a great handler, and the Countryman isn't isn't that far behind it either, and it's got the benefit of that additional ground clearance yeah. and without going to SUV ground clearance you know what i mean yeah so they've they still kind of keep it low but 225 kilowatts and 450 newton meters that's pretty handy 
Zero to one hundred times. It's uh, it's pretty good for a for a pretty big mini. Um, as much as that, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. sentence is filled yeah, with well, iron. I, mean, but... I guess if you think about the 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 hole that this car fills, you yeah. know, that's if you want a faster one, then you buy the smaller one. Mm. Whereas mm. this is a very um, respectably performing family size type mini. So um, I, I think it suits the size and the the configuration of the car quite well. That that level of performance is certainly applicable without being excessive, but it's still bloody fast. Yeah. But I, I, I think this is a pretty good package. It's a good, mm. it's a good, um, yeah, I reckon they've nailed it. Typically, yeah. they don't come cheap, but the thing is, is that there's not really many competitors against the Mini and the the Countryman and everything like that. Like they they feel they feel a great niche because they they don't go after the same type of person who's going, you know, for a, a, a Japanese hot hatch or anything like that. Like this goes for a completely different type of buyer. Like I know a few people with yep. Minis and. Uh, the other type of hot hatches just don't appeal to them for, for you know for whatever reason, and the the community around the JCWs in particular um, are extremely passionate. So it only takes a quick um, search on Facebook, and you'll find probably a local um, JCW or mini um, group that um that go and drives frequently or, or just you know love to share things about their cars. So it's um you know. It's it's not a bad community to be part of either, um, because of the heritage and the you know and what they've done with them. Mm. But yeah, that so that's an cool. exciting one. It, it, I, I'm not too sure they don't they, they don't have any pricing information at the moment, um, but I think uh, it probably will be that seventy seventy ish thousand. So not a cheap car, but um, the you know I don't think many people are really. Who, who are buying these cars are, are really that sensitive to the price of which, um, you know, of what you go out and, and buy for that money um, compared to those. So, yeah, the quarter four, 2020, yep. keep an eye out. Um, we'll, uh, as, as pricing info comes out, we'll, we'll be sure to keep you up to date. But, Joel, um, they've got well, a... Just, um, go the thing we were speaking before about with Mercedes-Benz and the fixed price and all that sort of thing, mm. that that JCW-type car is, for me, a more appropriate type of product to be able to have a fixed price. I think the like you were just saying, could, could market, do with fixed pricing compared to Mercedes yeah, as a whole. Well. that market, yeah. they're looking at it going... Oh, there's that mini that I want. How much is that? I'll go and find the money to buy that mini because that's what I want. Yeah, which is not necessarily the sort of thing they'll do with a C class or a. Um, oh well, I'm just going to say the A class, but then you're talking about the the AMG one. And mm-hmm. I know someone personally who's gone. How much is that? Oh, I have to find the money to buy that car. Yeah, but yeah. again, that's what we're talking about: the breadth of the portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that mini is. Yeah, that well, fits I, into I've the seen gap. I've seen a lot less discussion in groups about the prices I've paid for a mini JCW versus the prices people have been paying or the deals they've been getting on an M2 competition or a, a CS. So even yeah. you know within part of that same family of brands, there's a lot uh, I'm I'm seeing anyway. It's not you know I haven't done a, a peer review research paper or anything, but um, just just based on what I'm seeing on the surface, there's a lot more discussion about what people are paying for M2s versus minis. Um, and they're both equally passionate groups of people. 
So if that says anything, I think, um, yeah, that's a pretty good indicator of it's it's you've got to be very um, calculating on on where you apply in you know idea of of fixed price. Yep, for sure. But, um, but yeah, so Joel, speaking of a uh, Mercedes, so they're they're bringing in a GLE coupe. Yeah, so the GLE has been it's, it's expanding the current range, and so it's going into three models, and so we'll now have a coupe um, in in this range. Mm-hmm. Um, and it look look it looks good. The GLE, I think, is probably one of my sort of favourites in this GL sort of range because it looks it's followed BM's lead you know BM have the X4 and the X6 mm-hmm. um, you know in terms of their models that it has that sleeker look I mean Porsche have gone that now, that route now uh, and so have Audi so that coupe SUV is gaining traction and I think Mercedes were probably one of the first to do it so the GL450 is going to have a 3 litre turbocharged 6 cylinder um, with this 48 volt EQ boost technology which is becoming stronger in these European models now they're, they're pushing a lot more for this 40, 48 volt system um, to, to assist in the setup in the car um, then of course obviously you know we can't have Mercedes without have AM, AMG um, um, we'll have an mm. AMG GLE 53 formatic plus coupe as well. Um, so, yeah, and then obviously they're going to do a 53 and a 63. Um, and pricing will start at around about 137000 and go up to roughly about 220000 Um for manufacturer recommended list price. Um, so yeah, look, you know, I think the the popularity, and I know particularly in where I live in Melbourne, the GLE is very popular. The the local Mercedes dealership, I think, does very well with these models mm-hmm. um, in in the surrounding suburbs. Uh, it's quite popular. So yeah, having the ability to then have a variety of these models for those that want different levels of you know, depending on how much they want to spend and <laughs> how sporty they want to go. Um, yeah, it's good to see, and I think it'll do well um, for because of the options that it that it has. Mm. I've always thought the GLE look at that. works better than the X6 as a package. I, I just I think the look and the proportions um, always worked a little yep. bit better than the X6. And this one too, like the one we're looking at from the press release, the red one. That's. <laughs> Oh, I really don't like liking performance SUVs and sporty SUVs, but this is, I love the look of this. I really do. Yeah. The back and the front. It's really weird. Like they don't, um, there's no like shock and awe design details in this thing. It's just, it just looks really well put together. It's clean. It's neat. It's massive. Like I remember the first time I saw one in traffic, and all I could do was look at the wheels and go look at the size of those things because from a distance, you're like, oh, that's a kind of big hatchback and you get close. And they're actually a really big car. They're quite Monstrous. large. I think these ones are, what are they, 325 um, rears and they're like 22-inch wheels. They don't look that big until you get next to them because the first time I saw it, I did notice how massive the rear tyres were. But overall, the whole thing just, I don't know, they got all the proportions right. 20, I guess they made everything on big to go to the job. Are they? Yeah. Uh, so if you zoom in on the back wheel on the so red one, 325, 35, 22. 
So the GLE 53s are 21s and 22s on the GLE 63. Oh, okay. This must be the SMG. Yeah. The so they're SMG. running an inch difference between 53s and 63s. Yeah, right. But they're, um, yeah, it's just a really good looking car, which is, you know, half the battle to be able to, you know, differentiate yourself from somewhere else. Like I've mm-hmm. looked at the X6 recently and uh, I don't know, it just doesn't, it doesn't look clean and classy. It looks kind of, I don't know. And they've improved that X6 a lot from the previous generation yeah, as well. But it's yeah, just, sure. I think the, the, the key thing, like you mentioned about those wheels, Mercedes have nailed the proportions of those wheels to the wheel guys and the rest of the body. I've always found the X4 and the X6 just a little bit awkward on you know on the wheels of which it's sitting it just looks like they're way too small for the for the car um so it kind of looks like yeah. in my mind my you know to, to make an abstract uh, comparison is kind of like when you look at a train you know this big bulking train and the tiny little wheels really narrow ones on the on the queensland gauge because um, of how <laughs> narrow our tracks are compared to the rest of the saying harsh but yeah yeah well it's you know it's well, extreme I mean, really, but it's kind of like that's how i feel when i look at it and goes, oh they just and and being the big wheels but it's just like oh i just they, they feel i feel like they need to be bigger or taller or something they need to make a slight adjustment just to make it look a little bit tidier um, yeah. so on the x6 they've got that higher tail which adds yeah. an additional bit of visual mass above it which makes the wheels look smaller i guess mm-hmm. i mean what they've done on the mercedes here is they've just put some flares on the guards to to break that um, that side of the vehicle up a little bit, give it a bit of yeah. um, a gap, a bit of a step, rather than just seeing a big sailing plane above them. Mm. But yeah, anyway, they like you say they are going to sell another million of these. Yeah, that's right. The one thing which uh, which uh, Mercedes haven't done, as far as I'm aware, but BMW are now doing, and this is an awesome segue, um, is allowing for remote engine start um, with a lot of their cars now. So starting with the new 4 Series, 5 Series, and the M5 um, being the first ones, you can use the, the the vehicle key or the BMW Connected Drive app to to start your car. So it's perfect if you know for if you if you if your car lives outside and you know you're down in Victoria or you know in other parts of where it's fairly cold or even up here when it's really damn hot during the middle of the day, um, you can turn your car on and 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 set that um, you know get the air conditioning going to make it nice and cool or or nice and warm um, before you get going. And uh, once you've experienced it, or even like with a if you if you if you've experienced the Tesla with their remote app, um, you know it is a I cannot under you know under represent understate um, you know how good that is. On on the app, can you set the temp that you want the interior of the car to be? Um, I haven't used the BMW Connected Drive app for a long time, um, and I haven't seen this new version. Um, it makes course, reference but, to but seat heating, seat ventilation, and steering wheel heating. So the way you can with like with Tesla, you can, and it'll even you know with the Tesla it'll give you an updated um, like. Uh, temperature reading of the cabin so even though i had it set to 16 degrees in the middle of a 40 degree day in melbourne the car got down to 13 degrees and it was 
great because I had chocolate in the car and I had perfectly, I was going to a whole heap of different meetings um, that day and it kept everything ice cold, which was just perfect. It was, it was awesome. And, and that's why, you know, I'm excited about this new feature, even if it doesn't get you, you know, to that kind of um, level of, of control, um, you know, you can sort of, you know, make those conditions better because, you know, and they do say, look, depending on what options you have, and this probably leads into the, their subscription, you know, their, their unlockable features kind of thing down in the future where, you know, if you have seat heating, seat ventilation, um, steering wheel heating, as Josh said, you can control that. But they also say, like, yeah, preheating in cold conditions and pre-cooling in hot weather. So, um, yeah, it's it's good for everyone all around, particularly if you do have to park your car outside at some point. So first it's, oh, the steering wheel's a little bit too hot for me, and now it's I need the car cold enough to <laughs> preserve my Easter eggs. It's, it's, it's Katy Perry's, like, you know, your hot and your cold song, so... <laughs> No, I don't know that one. Sorry. Sure, that's not. <laughs> I'm gonna leave you out the cold. You, you don't. You don't use <laughs> Ask that song kids, to test the uh, the sound system. <laughs> sure. I thought that was your go-to. <laughs> oh, maybe. No, that's no, no. Um, so, I mean, I, I I know that they're making a big deal out of the car starting bit, which yeah. is kind of strange to me is that not something that bmw's had for a while or is it just because yeah, it's not got Australia. The i think the biggest problem is is that they haven't had the ability to um well not that she legislate it but make it that it's it's controllable here in oz because i know that for example the mustang in the us is, has the ability to start oh, for a lot of gm ford a whole heap of American models in America have had remote remote start for for years. Um, even yeah, the Holden yeah, Commodore, the the VF, had yeah. remote start from the very beginning. Um, yeah, you know, and that was kind of, I guess, that was kind of like a, a carryover from the you know the, te- the the bits and bobs that they were using in the US. That was kind of like, well, it's there. We might as well use it. Um, so in the in the, in the US, this is nothing new for people because. A lot of their American cars have, have used that a lot. But I think I'm not too sure why it's taken this long for BMW to do it. Maybe it's just the they, they didn't want to build into the key technology or maybe it was a European legislation kind of thing for yeah, guidelines you know, they didn't want people. Rules, yeah. yeah. Um, even though I know a lot of like, you know, when I was spent time living over there, that was the first thing on a cold winter morning. Somebody would have to volunteer to run out to turn the car on and leave it run for half an hour whilst people get ready. Um, and by the time you got in, the car was nice and warm. So, yeah, I guess the only thing here is is making sure that things are safe. So you, I wonder if there's a way that, you know, with BMW, it's a little bit smarter and going, well, it knows not to, maybe it knows not to start in an enclosed space like a garage because that is a obviously a fairly big risk um, with a lot of people yep. with, you know, with garages versus just parking it on the driveway or out on the street because um, you wouldn't want to remote start your car and then um, as you walk into the garage, all of a sudden you're passing out because the, the vehicle's filled the room with uh with you know with poisonous gas yeah yep um but yeah so i don't uh, know oh, why yeah, it's so, taking so long but um but yeah, yeah I it's guess. the same thing you're saying as well it's a it's a turn on thing so it can be installed in just minutes over the air with remote software upgrades yeah hmm. all right well um 
looks like we're, we're covering the, the trio of premium brands at the moment. So every week we've sort of had some RS vehicle to, um, to, to talk about each week and, you know, kudos to Audi. Um, they've, they've, kept everything relevant for us each week but um i guess maybe this and and the r8 um both so the the tt rs coupe and the the r8 um the refresh models arrive and and are now available in the dealers so the the two and a half liter five cylinder turbo um that's in the audi tt rs um yeah, it's a it's the five cylinder, so it's going to sound amazing. But it's two hundred ninety four kilowatts, four hundred eighty newton meters of torque. Pricing starts from a very healthy one hundred and thirty four thousand nine hundred, um, and they're they they're now also saying that they've included um, over sixty five hundred dollars worth of additional high value features compared to the to the outgoing model, um, and they've. For the hero color, they've gone for this super, um, super green, like Kermit the Frog green. Um, I'd say in the in the TTRS. Yeah, it's a different color. It, it kind of works, you know. Audi like that kind of sort of bright color in in terms of some of their recent models with some of the launches that they've done. And yeah. so it's nice to see this, you know, this bright green with the, the TTRS and seeing mm-hmm. that it the, the look like it's back. Um, you know, this they're, they're saying that they're offering six and a half grand of additional value compared to its predecessor. predecessor. Um, and look, they're in dealerships from, from now. So um, I know that a few people I know that have had this kind of car have really loved it and and the design of the the engine with being a five cylinder relates back to the heritage of Audi with the with the you know the group B rally car S1 mm. um and you know I've heard a couple of these things that Audi drive experiences and they sound pretty pretty awesome and I had a friend that that tarmac raced them for a while as well so i think it's one of those models that has continued to you know sell well across their range and and for people that you know like that sort of two-door sports car um and want something small and nimble and stuff like that it's the the perfect thing so it's good to see that excuse me out here continuing and pricing starts about 135 grand yeah, and if you've got a bit more um, budget, you can jump up to the R8, which is 449 kilowatts um, in the V10 <laughs> Quattro. So that's a 0 to 103.2 seconds. Or if you're um, a bit more insane, uh, you can go for the rear-wheel drive V10 or the V10 Performance Quattro, which um, with that pricing starting from a cool $295,000 plus your on-roads. So yeah, I've always liked the the TT. It's well, it's probably one of the few Audis. That I think right from its inception in the the weird around version that first came out and was certainly polarizing and grabbed a lot of attention when it first came out. But the TT has continued to be for me a design winner throughout its entire life. Like I've had a few. You know, I, I, I think Audi have gone through a few patches where the A4s uh, and A6s and that were kind of getting a bit, 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't say stale because they've always looked like they've they're kind of well built, but they weren't really standing out a great deal. They've certainly had a resurgence in the last um, in the more recent generations, mm. uh, but the TT has always been a good looker at the, at the very least, <clears throat> and certainly as they as they've gone on with age, they've become more sport focused. The first ones did have some um, concerns I heard about um, maybe trying to lift off when they were going faster. Uh, the back yeah. ends were a bit um, all over the place. But, yeah, these TTs for the last couple of years have just been total winners. Yeah, and going from TTs to TTS to TTRS, I think it's been really, really good to see that Audi have kind of grown with that model. And, and mm. there's some great, you know, you may have seen it on, online, but there's some great Audi advertising on TV at the moment talking about their heritage with, you know, the, the S and the RS models and coming from being the children of race cars and stuff like that. So um, it's nice to see Audi promoting that heritage mm. with what they've done. They, you know, they're a multi-Le Mans winner and, and have done very, very well in motorsport. So it's and, nice and to see the that they that heritage. It, it probably doesn't get the respect. It, it probably... Um, it, it deserves in terms of you know its level of performance and even features that it offers even you know even now um, I think perhaps the perception a little bit of the TT is is still a little bit of a hairdresser's car when I think it very much isn't um, even in in how Audi describe it they say you know a supercar performance without the price um, you know and it, it, you know it's got eight piston brake calipers um on the front and then you know two five five thirty rubber so it's kind of like you get, you've got a lot of power and not a huge tire but i think it's it's enough to keep things exciting um whilst you know things moving in the right direction um you get great speakers like they've, they've it's it's a great all-round package of great performance um, as well as, you know, remaining uh, a focused luxury car at the same time. Um, but, you know, uh, people who, who are shopping across, you know, M4 or C63 probably don't have the TTR on the shopping list, even though it probably should be if, if you're wanting a yeah. performance car at that price. Yep. I mean, it's, it, it's interesting too when you look at the the difference between the TT and the um, and the R8. Mm. You're paying. I mean, you're paying an extra one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for for half a second to a yeah. hundred. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, obviously you're not. There's a obviously there's some other performance envelopes where the R8 will certainly exceed the the TTRS. Mm. But just as a as a um, as an indicator of just how fast the RS is, uh, it's very close to their very dedicated and very powerful um, um, sports two door or supercar, I guess. Um, so the TTRS, yeah, it's a it, it's a standout, I think. I mean, visually as well, it, it just looks it's green aside. I I quite like the green. I think as yeah, a, me too. As as a hero color, um, but just visually, it's it's design and everything. It, it it's it, it's another winner. I mean, I guess we've we've covered a lot of them this this week. Most of the stuff we've looked at has um has been quite cohesive. Mm, mm. Um, and the TTRS just it's really got some some good character that I think is quite distinctive when you're comparing it to the other ones. Like you're saying, you know the um the BMW offerings and that sort of thing. They're 
they're also good designs, but they don't look anywhere near as aggressive, I don't think, as, as the TT. No. no. It looks and, like a sports car. And Audi's done well in terms of, again, following that BMW and Mercedes um, sort of family feel and offering something for everyone. You know, as we talked about R8 now, that there's a V10 rear-wheel drive and there's a Quattro version. You know, there's the TTS, there's the TTRS. You know, there's, you know, everything in terms of the R-series across their ranges, everything in the Q-series um, and then the RS-series. You know, depending on what price guide you want and whether you want a coupe, you want a four-door, you want a wagon, you want an SUV, there's something for everyone in Audi's range now at mm. whatever budget you want to spend you know you can have a- i'd like to know just how many models and configurations and combinations they have in the australian market right now and i don't think we even have them all obviously there's some other no. things that are offered there's a couple globally of that we, that don't we don't have but you know look at r8 alone there's four um you know there's just there's quite a few options in in that respect but yeah they're they're just one of those models that has that one of those brands that have really decided to do everything in terms of what they yeah, offer. chase every hole yeah exactly yep. and so that they're for everyone that want depending on what you want there's someone something to suit everyone in terms of your taste yeah well let's um let's touch on so so bmw um in their part of the world of of models so they've got the m5 competition coming we spoke about it last week joel um with with some of the specs but now they've released um pricing and for for those deliveries starting october 2020 so um their 4.4 liter v8 um 460 kilowatts 750 newton meters of um of torque 3.3 seconds zero um to 100 and zero to 200 kilometers an hour in just 10 point eight seconds um which is just uh you know as they say blistering um but the pricing starts from two hundred and forty five thousand dollars plus your on roads um for the for the performance of you know if we just look at that zero to 100 time and then throw in the mix that it's actually a sedan it's not a mid-engined supercar it's not it doesn't have a v10 it doesn't have a hybrid system or anything like that it's just a a 4.4 liter v8 with turbos attached onto it um when you start to look at all the other bits and pieces you go well 245,000. that's a pretty good bargain for that type of performance yeah it's it's not bad for what it is in terms of you know that's a really fast family car <laughs> exactly it's a fast fast yeah. sedan you know it's in similar money to obviously what we've talked about previously with audi and mercedes and things like that um but you know it is a it is a super sedan as it is bmw call it um and you know there's obviously the the options that that it that it has in terms of the specs, you know, the, the standard specification list is massive. Um, the option list is is pretty big as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's an impressive setup. You know, deliveries are here in October. Mm. Um, you know, it it's using the same damper setup from the M8 competition. Um, and yeah, it's you know it's an impressive thing. So. So the question is: Is do you, guys, do you guys reckon? Do you, do you reckon they're creating a a brand of two brands? Because I look at this and I can't, I, I don't put it in the same family as the as the new four series. It just it doesn't look like the same. 
don't know. It's <laughs> like they came from a different shed or something. Yeah. It just it, it, it just it just feels different. Like I mean, this this is very much a an evolution of the um, of the traditional sedan style it's still very much a, a very familiar shape all the proportions are as you would expect whereas you know the when we looked at that four coupe um a few weeks ago it was it was different i mean it was still yeah. good but it doesn't look i don't think it looks the same family as this car i think i think the the current like this updated M5 and 5 Series is still carrying a little bit of legacy from that previous generation. It's kind of like a a, yeah. a heavy facelift rather than a, a ground-up redesign. Um, and I think that's probably why the design language is is relevant but it's not you know that exterior look isn't you know completely reflective of that 4 Series which is really the um yeah, the first iteration of that next generation. Thing, you know, it's leading that next gen. Um, so do you, thing is, does that mean we should be scared for the next five series? Oh, who knows? I, th- I think we we criticise brands for taking it too safe and then we criticise brands when they go too far. And, and I think it's like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm okay for BMW to experiment around with what their design is and, and where it goes. And if that front nose in the four series only survives one generation, well, you know, that's what it is. Um, but I'm kind of liking seeing some brands get out there and try something. And then, you know, if it works, well, it works. Um, if it doesn't, well, oh, yeah, no, I, they own it and move I, on. I don't think I'm, I don't know if I sounded critical of it. I just think that there's definite difference between the two. I mean, I'm, I actually prefer for a brand to have a bunch of different products that are different rather than um, I'm not so much a fan of the previous generation Audis where they were a same sausage, different length type. Yeah. Um, solution and I think they've gone away from that a little bit with um, their current generation products Mm -hmm. and I guess the the difference between this particular BMW and the and the other newer BMWs particularly the front wheel drive versions um, it is a very distinct difference and I mean it's it's risky for sure yeah. Um, but it's also broadening the appeal to, you know, people don't like the look of the traditional sedan that you've got in the M5, mm-hmm. then you mm-hmm. do have other options that you can pick and still stay in the BMW showroom. So maybe mm-hmm. it's a, maybe it's a strength. Yeah, uh, I think that's, you know, we're, and they've probably got two parts of the, the business. Like BMW M traditionally operates very much on its own in terms of, um, you know, the product which they built. And the only real difference that has happened, you know, in the last number of years is that because of how, you know, the technology that they have available to develop the product allows them to design like the M5 alongside the 5 Series at the same time rather than what normally happens is here's the new, um, you know, here's the new normal standard series and then about, you know, 12 12 months to 18 months later, here's the M model. Um, And so we've seen previously it's kind of like it happens at the same time or or in very quick cadence um, after each other that, yep, here's standard model here's the m model um and i think what's happening with the with the m vehicles is that they're listening to their to their specific customer base of we want traditional 
you know, we want to live up to those historic BMW things that make their M vehicles special. So we know that in the upcoming M4 and M3, that is going to have a manual transmission, despite, you know, performance and other kind of thing is sacrificed because of the manual. But because customers are asking for it, they're developing it where, um, you know, yeah. but at the same time, the normal model, they're building, you know, a hybrid and all that kind of thing. So it, it kind of goes against the grain of what the standard series are doing. And, you know, this is where we'll probably see a little bit of divergence from, you know, what BMW M are doing and, and what the others are doing. And, and maybe that's why we didn't see uh, an i8, uh, like an M version of the i8, because it didn't really fit in what they thought their customers, you know, that buy M vehicles are really going to want versus, you know, the hybrid yeah. i8 at this point in time. I'm not saying they're not going to do it in the future. But the only thing I'm trying to think of is where do they go from here? Like what happens for the next generation M5 or, or M3 and M4? Because they're all getting down to, you know, the limits of, of physics basically when it comes to performance. So now, you know, and even that's why we're seeing zero to 200 times rather than just zero to 100 times because whether it's a, a Ferrari um, Tributo or a Koenigsegg or, a, you know, the Audi R8, these these performance cars, whether they're $200,000 or $4 million, they're all stuck in that 2.9 seconds to 3.2-ish seconds of acceleration. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's only so far you can go, even if you throw in a hybrid engine in there, you, you, you're actually physically limited by what the tires can do in translating that into motion. Um, well, I think you're even, I think you're actually starting to get to the point now where you're limited by the, the by the human being. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the 10, 10.8 seconds to get to 200 kilometers an hour mm. It's barely time to scratch yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and you're already doing two hundred. I've been yeah. in a car that does zero to one hundred and three seconds, and yep. it's not a comfortable experience. Like, <laughs> and you really want to do it on the street. <laughs> it's got to be done on the track. Yeah, but it, you know, it is. It is not something which is entirely enjoyable and i and i and, and you know that's why i'm kind of liking seeing now that we're going to have to rejig our head as well in terms of you know what we see as good performance not just in zero to 100 but zero to 200 even though it's completely irrelevant here in australia but now you know yeah. the focus is on you know how do we get that top end performance you know it's all about that short sharp ex, um uh acceleration but if we want to go further that's I, where i guess to there playing around with I, I guess you know, I guess we're kind of limited here too with um with the whole zero to 100 and zero to 200 I mean I can't say the whole old zero to 200 yeah. figure but yeah. zero to 100 has been a benchmark for so long that it's always mentioned they always mm. have zero to 100 mm. numbers mm. and you know we we look at the zero to 100 number and that that gives us some sort of perception about what the performance of that particular vehicle is. But really it gives you one very um, well, barely relevant number really, because unless you're doing a specific run to a hundred kilometers an hour and who does that, Mm -hmm. it's, it's only to prove that, hey, what I said in the catalogue, they said 3.3. Oh, look, I hit 3.3. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. You know, what's... Well, it, well, I think there's a communication at, there. Should should, yeah. should there be measures like, you know, understanding mechanical grip by going, well, what is a, you know, 100, you know, 100 kilometre per hour at, you know, 
uh, 70 degrees, you know, a corner of 70 degrees, what are the number of Gs that are experienced? Is that another way to sort of determine performance without going to like Nürburgring lap times and, and that kind of thing? Um, to, yeah, to give maybe. Idea of the performance, you know, because that's, you know, that's certainly an area where performance, that's where you start to see the difference, differentiation. Like even like we said with the TTRS and the R8, going around a corner, the experiences are going to be drastically different in the two cars versus just, you know, a, a straight acceleration um so maybe i don't know that maybe that's a different way i don't know if it's the most practical way but uh, you know are there different ways that we can express performance figures or um levels of achievement yeah well i don't even um, know if there are even yeah. yeah that's right i mean what's what what criteria do you use i mean one of the things i i always remember um here at Chris Harris, he was driving a, a hybrid race car on the track. Yeah. And his explanation of the way the electric motor actually worked in conjunction with the petrol motor, it was filling in the troughs of torque that you get when you have the gear changes or when the engine tuning didn't allow for a linear power delivery. You know, the electric yeah. motor just yeah. smoothed everything out so that you had linear power delivery. I always thought that was a really good description of... Mm of what the vehicle was doing and how that actually changed the performance of the vehicle. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't, I don't know how you can come up with something that provides that level of clarity or um, information to a, to a prospective owner now that you can put in a press release and say, Hey, this is what this car now does that other cars previously didn't do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> definitely, definitely a challenge, but I mean, on that same point about, um, you know, we're talking about what's next for um, M5 or, or whatever comes after this. Mm. Um, I, I can see the, the next point where we're talking about the hybrid component. If they get the battery um, power density good enough or the weight of the battery low enough, they could do exactly that, replace turbos with um electric motors electric providing motors. that level of performance mm. to do exactly that to to change the power delivery of the petrol engine to be more practical or more useful for people in however they um, choose to deploy their car like i was yeah. out at lakeside this week i'm um, just watching midweek sprints and seeing the difference between um you know, the generations of cars because there's a whole bunch of different things all racing at the same time. There was a Tirana XU1. There was the last of the Celicas was going around. There was a, um, a race prepped old uh, RX7 mm. going around, a couple of hot hatches, a whole bunch of different generations of vehicles. And just watching how they went about their business on the track was um, incredibly interesting for me, particularly watching a non-turboed Celica sticking rod on the ass of an RX-7 and you could see the chassis proficiency was yeah. so much better than a race prepped RX-7, but the boost of the turbo just absolutely tore the Celica a, a new one every mm -hmm. time it got to the mm -hmm. straights. So the guy never actually got around him. But I don't know, there's there's so many other aspects to performance that don't get communicated in um, these types of comms because all you've got is good old-fashioned 0 to 100. And that's the progression that we get. It's progression we're going to see. I mean, the 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 last gen SQ7 Audi had an electronic supercharger, so you know we're going to see that kind of tech moving into it as they as they do more with it. Mm. And I think ele yeah. elect electricity or you know that sort of hybrid feel is going to add more and more to them as they progress through. So maybe they've been talking about it for a while that the next 
M5 might have some hybrid assistance, you know, yeah. just who knows what well, it'll even do. For the longest time, the rumors for the, the Toyota Supra were that it was going to be a, a hybrid powertrain putting power through all four wheels. Now, obviously, you know, what we got was something a little bit different, but, you know, that's where people were thinking, you know, that's where people's heads were at in terms of the idea of to, to get the performance out of a car like that, you needed a hybrid hybrid system. Yep. But look, let's let's move on to a couple other bits. So, um, Sang Yong, uh, you know, have have teased their first um, first EV um, that's to come in the first half of twenty twenty one. So it's um, it's a it's going to be a mid sized SUV with space and versatility, um, an all new design approach. Um, and to me, do you, do you guys remember what like the Nissan Murano, their their SUV? Mm-hmm. Where yeah, this yeah, yeah. teaser image kind of looks like that from the front, don't you think? It's an updated Murano. Yeah, that's that's how I see it. Not that I I think it looks quite good from this image. I don't know what the side profile will be like, but um, but yeah, I'm. Uh, are you guys a little bit surprised that you know maybe um, uh, a company like Sanyong are going to be beating out a company like Mitsubishi with no. a with a like a full like an SUV EV. No, I'm not surprised at all. I know that Sangyong, particularly with their current generation, Murano and that, they've come a long way with what they've created um, and the quality of their product. I'm not yeah. surprised that this, this this brand from where they are in the Australian market is pushing for it. Um, the, the, the desire to be to market with this kind of hybrid or EV style vehicle i think is really really good and i think yeah. it'll probably do well with them that brand is growing strong at the moment particularly with you know holding pulling out of of the market um and what so many other sort of dealers are looking at doing this is a perfect brand to slot into that that spot and and take up a gap for dealers that had holden as well as other brands um to really become part of the market. And an EV is definitely, you know, if you can bring in an EV at a cheaper price point, mm. you know, it's a great thing. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how how much cheaper that can actually, they can actually make it because I guess the the major cost, again, batteries, we love talking about batteries because yeah. it is the big impost for, for EVs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, the, it's the lion's share of componentry cost for... Um, for any vehicle that's um, trying to make any sort of leverage off um, EV capability. Um, I don't know if they've got the sort of position to be able to um, reduce that cost, but um, yeah, yeah, they definitely need one. And it, it's it's something to... Uh, I, actually, I tried to talk about this on Instagram the other day about the, the Kona that... <laughs> You know, it's it's hard now that a lot of people are coming out with EVs. A lot of products are coming mm, out as mm. um, as EVs. It's hard to stand out. Um, but Sangyong, in general, it's kind of hard for them to stand out anyway because they don't have as much market presence. So that little EV bit will should be enough to get it get their names out there yeah. a little bit better. And it'll probably um, as, as long as they as, as long well as they nail it. pricing for a similar sized vehicle. <laughs> Because we yeah, know that's that price right. is, so, is a sensitive bit for EVs at the moment, um, outside of yeah. like the the Tesla, um, outside of the Tesla world. So yeah, look, yeah, this is going to be great for competition um, if the price is right and if the range is right. Um, but look, it, it's set to come in the first half of, of next year, so I'm sure uh, we'll 
we'll get um, more info as it comes close. They haven't confirmed yet um, if it will be coming to Australia or, or, or sorry, um, what dates we'll be getting it for the Australian market. They haven't said um, that it, they're yet to confirm that it's coming here, but more like, yeah, that what dates it will be coming. So um, I expect to be... I do have a... I do have a Sangyong in my calendar coming up in a couple of weeks too, so okay. I'm looking forward to, to getting behind the wheel of one of those and what have you got yeah, seeing how far they've come. Yeah. Uh, Corando, I think it's the ultimate, pretty sure. You'll enjoy that. It's a great car. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're um, they're certainly distinctive. Like they, they've when you see them driving around, it's uh, I guess it, I don't know whether it's just a car spotter thing or not. But if I see a car I've never seen before, I will fix on that from a thousand yards, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if possible, get over and you know close that gap and see what yeah. it actually looks like wherever it the is. The design language on that um, model is really nice, and they've done a really good job with them. Yeah, in terms of what they've created, um, you know, it, it's it's a nice looking thing. The lines on it are really smart. Um, the interior is amazing in terms of what they've created. So I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it once you've uh, spent some time behind the wheel. Mm. Me too. All right, so um, Kia have uh, they they really seem to be focusing on the idea of transportation as a service, um, and that's sort of you know emphasised by their latest partnership with uh, Code Forty Two AI. Um, they've done a, a joint investment um, in a new startup. Isn't that Elon Musk's new kid? <laughs> yeah, that's right. sorry. Look, the kid's getting into into the startup world pretty pretty early, it seems. Pretty early. Um, <laughs> but look, so it's all about um, building a proprietary operating system to manage mobility services. So, um, yeah, it's they're calling it Purple M. Um, It'd be interesting to see where this goes and, and, and what their how it connects into the future vision and and even you know we were talking offline even about um, the communications app called Signal, um, but there's plenty of um, plenty of good examples of where open source software does a you know can can have a lot of advantages against building a proprietary operating system, particularly if you're wanting to create you know, overall um, adoption of a, of a single platform. Um, so this is an interesting, this is an interesting move, particularly, you know, they, they're still going down that autonomous transportation as a service idea. Um, and this, you know, this is helping them develop the, the software side rather than the, the hardware side. What do you guys think? Uh, any thoughts? Yeah, it's good to see they're moving into this this sector. Um, and it, look, it, it makes for interesting reading that they're talking more about it being a generic um, thing and working with mobility and more sort of EV mobility. Um, and yeah, look, I think it's, you know, this Purple M system is, you know, makes for, for interesting reading and what they're, you know, planning to do in the future. So yeah, I think the more that the brands are doing in this sort of place, it's, you know, particularly for Kia um, and their current range and stuff like that. I think it's, uh, you know, it's quite interesting. 
Do you think that um, COVID-19 may um, prove to be a, a larger than expected uh, road uh, sort of speed bump in the pathway to a to a more open and more shared, you know, transportation service, um, you know, where uh, you could say, look, if we don't completely eliminate the corona, you know, coronavirus or COVID-19, um, that our you know cleanliness and and you know um, uh, uh, sanitization of, yeah. of surfaces. Who's going to share a car? Basically, exactly. Yeah. Because even if you look at Apple's um, Maps data, so what they do every month, they release um, uh, stats on how many times you know they look at the frequency of requests for directions based on walking, public transportation, and um, cars or, or you know sort of road transport. And um, walking has increased cars have have increased outside of you know when there were periods of lockdown but basically that has has come back to being above the baseline and then um public transport is down like 20 to 30 percent the last time i looked at it and i can't help but think that part of that is driven by people don't want to be sharing um uh transportation with people when either it's you know they're in a, a high touch um space or you know just within close proximity of other people um so yeah i, yeah. I wonder if this you know i'd be curious to see what um what discussions they're having around you know what that risk level is and 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 what data they have to see, you know, what that trend is or, or you know, how they're approaching to, oh, the, to address something. Like that. It's a it's a massive harpoon to the share economy. Absolutely yeah. huge. I mean, it's it's going to get to the point, you know, it's not going to be – nobody wants to do a, a single trip, get out, and then somebody else gets straight in again. Yeah. You, you don't know where the car's been. There has to be some sort of level of assurance about the level of um, sanitization that's occurred after someone's been in there. I mean, what are you going to do? Just throw a match in and burn the mm. – Burn the interior well, out, put some new seats in. To, hey, it's clean. Technology that we spoke about a number of weeks ago, a little while, probably last month, um, was that idea of uh, what Hyundai were exploring of an ultraviolet light to, to sanitize the surface. Um, but again, yeah. you know, that takes time unless you're going to be absolutely baking um, everything in there under a super intense ultraviolet light. Um, and again, we don't know. That, that, you know, that would that'd be a lot potentially of be to... reassuring, though, wouldn't it? Like you yeah. know, the, someone gets out, the doors close, the windows tint a little bit, and you see the whole thing flash, <laughs> and then sink down. You're like, okay, well, they've they've burned everything. Yeah, but then um, you know, does that come down to how long do the interior surfaces last? Because we know that the damage ultraviolet light does to plastics and leathers and all that kind of thing. You know, is it becoming yeah. a more of a disposable, um, in like you know, a renewable kind of or or, or recycling friendly interior where you know once a month or once a year they throw out the interior install a new one and you know continue to bake it with uh, ultraviolet i don't know it's it's an interesting thing because obviously we've seen a lot of troubles with with uber and and other ride sharing services um and even taxis where you know this has been a massive kick um, as you mentioned, Mick, to to the idea anyway of <laughs> happily sharing something with a random person. Yeah, so, that sounds a little bit more personal than what I was alluding to, but <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> but I mean, there's so what I guess what they're talking about here with the um, with the code forty two dot AI is essentially, I know we were talking about previously where you you were saying that the 
new Apple CarPlay, uh, was iOS 14, doesn't do the optimized trip for um, electric vehicle recharging. It seems to me like the stuff that they're doing here is developing um, a logistic network, obviously not necessarily usable for the end user, mm. but for the management of electric fleets, um, optimizing the logistic allocation of resources to people as they need them, and then allowing those... Um, so, for example, if you're using an electric autonomous vehicle to pick someone else, pick someone up and drop them off, um, the computer system can say, okay, do I have enough charge left to be able to pick up that next person? No, yeah. I don't. I'll go to the charge station. Somebody mm-hmm. else who may be a little bit further away still gets priority because they've got more charge. And yeah. that's the kind of optimization that I can see is coming mm-hmm. out of this, um, this partnership. So, yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> being a logistics nerd that I am, um, mm. this is a very important um, development that's required to, in order to be able to reduce uh, the consumption of, of energy. So one of the one of the pet hates that I've got with um, Ubers and not Uber people directly, Uber drivers, but the this, this simple concept of Uber drivers driving around waiting for the next ride. If they don't have a ride, every piece of energy that they're expending while they're sitting there either idling their car with the air conditioning going or driving around from one location to another hoping to get a job over that way even if they don't yeah. get one. You know, all that wasted energy is all contributing to um, excess consumption. So having mm-hmm. something like this to be able to mitigate that, it will be quite a quite a substantial saving as far as resources consumed. It's the kind of stuff that happens in yeah. the background that people don't normally see. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely very important um, partnership or important development. Good to see Kia be part of that partnership. Yeah. Uh, so, so next up... Um... Just loading it up right now. Um, but Joel, so EQ, Mercedes have um, kind of, it's kind of along the line, I guess, of um, changing how how people think and, and optimizing things. So Mercedes have uh, released an EQ Ready app. So I guess just from, from the top line, it looks like something to help people understand their driving behavior to help does it does it help them understand or get over range anxiety? Is it is it is this yeah. what the EQ Ready app does? Look, the app sort of is designed to give you a, an understanding of how you're using your everyday routes, and 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 then it's then analysed um, to understand you know what's going to be what how you're using it and then to be able to sort of feed that data back. So, you know, the kind of results that, are, that it's finding is that, you know, that a lot of people are doing quite short journeys um, yeah. in terms of the distance they're traveling in electric cars. Um, so it's helping sort of Mercedes understand where they may need to set up you know, dealerships that, that may have that ability to offer charging and stuff like that. So, um you know, it not only checks where the destination of the user course to be reached with electric drive, it also informs them, you know, everyday power requirements and the available of the infrastructure. So realistically with, you know, an EV or any kind of hybrid now that, that has that you need to be able to charge, knowing where you can stop to be able to top up is, you know, is ever important. And we, we've seen them with the likes of what Charge Fox have been doing, particularly here in Victoria, where they now have their charge, their setups, you know, particularly like, you know, RACV and, and things like that. They're, 
locations are now installing charge systems so that, you know, particularly like our, the RSCV club in Torquay, you can drive to Torquay, you can go in there, there is, if you're staying at the hotel, it's great, you've got your own undercover charging ability underneath. But if you're mm. visiting, there are charge positions, you know, within the car park that you can turn up to and, and charge. And Mick, you've obviously worked with a couple of those with some of the electric cars you've had recently. So it's all this kind of tech that's working to help owners and the brands understand what's going to enable people to get the best out of these vehicles to yeah. to know how far they can get in terms of their ranges. Yeah, look, you know, and we've spoken about this a lot of, of people don't really understand um, or realise that they don't travel as far as um, as they really think. So um, it's... Yeah, it's like, this is know. a good... It's, it's a good development. I, I'm just wondering if maybe um, perhaps this should have been a partnership. I understand that they're trying to... Um, provide the whole you know the, are they saying are you eq ready so they're making that direct link to what they've got yeah. available um but and, and even one of the things that says here it says it, it can um you know identify what sort of utilization you've got from your car that you have irrespective of what the car is because all it's doing is seeing how far you're traveling it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. um but it, it to me, it would seem, oh, I wouldn't seem, um, there's the chance that the outcomes that they would get out of the results may be slanted towards towards the brand or towards the product sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think it might, there might have been benefit there in trying to use a an independent third party to develop and have the app and say that they're partnered with them to, um, to help people um, become aware of whether or not they're um, an EV would shoot would would suit their needs, rather than it being a Mercedes app, so that it's only working for you to see if you're suitable for a Mercedes car. I know that's not the intent, but having the Mercedes thing over the top of it um, just sort of removes the um, the impartiality of the results, I guess. It probably doesn't really technically, but having that name there, I don't know. I I would just when I'm making decisions, I don't want to get decisions from the person who's trying to sell me something. Yeah, I guess is the shortest way to put it. Mm. But still, a great initiative. It's a great idea, um, and I I think a lot of people would be surprised out of the results. And it, I I don't think it costs you anything to get the app, does it? You should yeah. just do it and have a go anyway, and I'm, just, I'm and just see what the results come yeah, out of a it. Local a local government hasn't done this. Like a you know, this is yeah. kind of the thing. Like you said, like a Queensland government thing or a state government somewhere would be like, hey, are you are you EV ready? Because it you know it serves a benefit to our community rather than um, just a, a specific brand. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Maybe sure. maybe this is this will serve the inspiration for, um, you know, someone like an industry or a government um, type of thing to to educate people, you know, or let people know that yeah, you you might not, um, yeah, you, know, you don't have to be as worried about um, distance uh, as you as you once thought. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the great the great motivator out of it is the fact that it is personal results. You know, it's exactly what yeah. you've done. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And uh, look, another 
one thing that has been a, a government um, initiative through the FCAI, um, which is the, the Federal Chamber, Chamber of Automotive Industries, is that um, the isMyAirbagsSafe.com.au website that they're saying, um, you know, they're, they're celebrating that, uh, yeah, there's been... 11 million um, uh, visits to that website to, to do checks. Um, if people's uh, Takata website, you know, Takata, Takata airbags are, are faulty or not, um, there still seems to be a significant number of vehicles that are that have not um, had that, that um, you know, had their faulty airbags replaced, which is very, very concerning. Um, so... And this is obviously coming to to the head of um, also where um, if if you haven't had your airbag um, uh, replaced, they most likely the Queensland state government will deregister your vehicle and make it that you can't drive your vehicle until that has been um, replaced. So look, I don't really think we need much more of a discussion apart from don't be an idiot. Um, if check that your um, your your vehicle is or isn't. Um, Part of the recall, most of the time you should have received multiple phone calls, multiple um, letters from the manufacturer telling you that your um, your airbag needs to be replaced in your car. Um, and if you do know that needs replacing, just give your dealer a call. Just do it. And uh, it costs you nothing. <laughs> um, it is completely free. It will greatly increase your chance of living um, in the case of having an accident or even, um, you know, some of these airbags are known to just go off without anything prompting them um, and, and inflating incorrectly and killing um, the, the people driving or behind those airbags. So uh, I don't know yep. why you would wait. Um, it's pretty straightforward. I, I so. got my I got my letter and I got it done straight away. It was yep. completely painless. They they did it in like two or three hours. I I got it done through my deals up at uh, up at Noosa here. Yep. That was super fast, super helpful. Is there's, there's yep. no reason to not do it really? Yeah, unless you think- unless you got a death wish because the outcome. I mean, I, I'm sure. I don't know, I'm sure you guys have seen it, but I've had a look at videos online of um, of the results of those yeah. airbags going off and the damage that they do as mm-hmm. just, it's not worth the risk. It's ridiculous. No. I understand why, if you'd not or haven't already received a letter, why you wouldn't have gone and had the, the fix done because, you know, if you're driving your car, any kind of more than sort of once a week, it's a crucial thing to to have fixed because you know how much do you value your life, really? Mm, absolutely. Yep. No, <laughs> I mean even just seeing the amount of times that they promoted this stuff, and the fact that there's still people that haven't done it. I mean, mm. you just can't tell some people. It's it's crazy. No. Yeah, it's uh, it's stupid. Anyway, let's have a little bit of fun before we uh, jump onto the. Um, yeah, we'll smash through some of these uh, international news sections. Um, so uh, last week we, um, Joel and I, we had a look at bringatrailer.com um, to to basically pick out a couple of, you know, pick out a vehicle that we um, would be particularly uh, fond of owning if we had a theoretical amount of money to, to spend. Um, the, uh, the I, I will touch up on uh, the, the yellow Porsche 911 with the 
RUF or roof um, modification sold for $62,500 US. Um, So pretty healthy uh, bid for the car. But um, but yeah, hell of a car for that price. How about you, Joel? Would your um, would your little car sell for? Yeah, it was interesting. I um, I had a bit of a look uh, during the week. I actually set up a, an alert, so I knew what it was going to sell for when it sold, just so I didn't uh, forget about it. Yeah. But um, I was surprised that um, it went for so low. My um, my Fox um, Audi Fox wagon from 1976 sold for about 13 grand US. Uh, so that was pretty impressive to see that uh, it sold such a low amount. Um, It was a bit unique because it was modified, but um, still, you know, it's quite cheap for for what it is and Mm. how unique Mm. it is as well. So obviously there's not a lot of hashtag wagon love for Audi wagons in, uh, for 1970s Audi wagons in the US. (laughs) What was yours? What was your result? Uh, 13 grand. I went for the uh, the four liter um, 1994 BMW 530i. Yeah, it was a weird. I did not pick that for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, it's um, I, I like that shape. I like wagons. Obviously, it had grey leather, and I I'm boring. I like grey. Um, but it was a well finished looking car. It went for forty two and a half grand. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, I mean, this was done by a professional modifier. Obviously, they um, they put a lot of effort into making sure everything was either new or replaced. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was pretty well sorted. And uh, what did you think I was going to go for? I nearly went for the for the RUF powered nine eleven. To be honest, <laughs> no. See again, uh, I I really thought you would have picked something um, more American based, and I've kind of got something in mind that I've picked out for for this week's, and I'm intrigued to see what you pick. But I think I might be wrong again. Be. So, so what did you uh, what did you pick this week, Joel? What was your? Look, um... I, I, it was a hard choice. I um uh, I left it until just before the show because so many of the auctions end sort of just before. So I picked stuff that was kind of active, and I kind of came down to four different options because mm-hmm. I you know, want to have a bit of. Well, it's probably three ones a, a pick for Mickey. Um, but I think the one that kind of excites me the most, there's there's a pick and an honourable mention. So my pick is an LS1 powered 1980 International Harvester Scout 2. Um, I'm, a, I'm I am a fan of the International Harvester stuff, um, and particularly the Scout. This the the fact that got me was this thing's got a Chevy uh, LS1 V8 5.7 liter. Um, it's been modified. It's an open top car. So it's obviously fully open top, kind of like you would expect in a Jeep. Um, look, it's had some work um, in terms of what it what it's what it's had done to it. Um, it's really nicely finished. It's 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 kind of like one of those resto mod kind of things you'd expect. You know, something that is you know kind of unique in terms of what it is. Um, it, it, it's not you know your general kind of you know. Basically, not even barn fine, but you know it, it's 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 nicely done. It's got you know the the engine's even got the Corvette cover <laughs> engine cover on it. Mm. Um, you know it's had additional modifications, aftermarket fuel, aftermarket fuel tank, electric fuel pump, replacement fuel lines, custom air intake, aluminium radiator, dual electric fans, Optima red top battery. Like it's had some serious work. Yeah. It's I looked beautiful. at that for a long time as yeah. my pick, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it's, it's um, it's yeah." Be- but I beautiful and white with the pinstripes, pin you know. 
Yeah, it's kind of, it was, you know, its current bid is $20,000 US. It's got six days left. So I'm going to, I'm going to actually add that before I haven't actually done it, but I've added it to my watch list. So I'll, uh, I'll give you an update uh, of what else, of what it does you know, at the end of next week. Um, but then there was also my other kind of picks were, you know, sort of a, a 12,000 mile 2003 Dodge Viper SRT 10, but it's, it's a later model. It's a 2003. It's not the, the genuine sort of nineties style Viper, um, 30 grand finishes in nine days. It's like, it's nice, but it's not that first generation shape. So it's not the ideal thing for me, but the thing that grabbed me first, I think, uh, and the only thing that's put me off is the color. Uh, I would probably would have picked this if it hadn't been for for the color, but it's a six mm. six thousand mile, two thousand and two Chrysler Prowler. Um, I have a thing for these Prowlers. Um, I'm not a fan of the red, um, so you know it's a deep can deep candy red pearl. Uh, currently, it's at seventeen and a half grand with four days to go. I really like these Prowlers. I have an original dealer brochure that I bought on eBay a couple of years ago because I have this sort of thing for it. Um, so yeah, I'm intrigued to see what that kind of goes. Um, Mickey, did you pick? US or did you pick European? I picked European. Okay, so the other thing I picked, which I thought Mickey might find interesting, but he hasn't gone for it. So there was a Liegenfeld modified 2001 Cadillac Katara LS7 six-speed. Um, oh. which I kind of picked out for Mick. I thought that might kind of kind of be a little bit interesting. Um, mm. It's a little bit different. Um, it's only done 42,000 miles. Um, I wasn't fully aware of the uh, Kateras. I need to probably go and do a little bit more research, but um, I'm intrigued by this thing. It's, it's at 15 grand with two days to go. Um, but, yeah, it's an interesting you know, looking. You know what they are, right? What is it? So, so it's the um, it, it's a distant relative of the VT Commodore. I thought it might um, be with some of the so lines. It is, yeah. So it's the European version. So the the Opal uh, was it Record or um, Senator, whatever whatever the Opal version of the VT yeah. Commodore was. So the, v, the VT Commodore was based off the Opal design still, but it was widened and toughened to be able mm-hmm. to. Um, live under Australian conditions. Mm. The Americans originally, they didn't have the LS7 in it. They had the standard three-liter V6. It was anemic, slow, yeah. and not well-received. So um, they didn't do very well. It's it's not a bad-looking car, but mm. essentially it's like a VT Commodore, but a, bit, a little bit from more that narrow. Rear, that rear sort of C-pillar, it's got very sort of VT feel with a slightly different changed rear end. But, yeah, that was kind of my special kind of thing I picked out for, for Mick, but uh, I wasn't sure which way it goes. So, gentlemen, what did you pick for this week? Ash? Ah, okay. All right. So I, I'm making this up on the fly because I couldn't come up <laughs> Um, Too much. Actually, I discussed this off <laughs> offline before the show. There was a lot of choice this week. Um, there was yep. almost too much to pick from. So um, I don't know. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give you two. Um, two like uh, what do you call it? Um, honorable honorable mentions. 
All right. So one is an 18,000 mile medium blue metallic 1990 Ferrari Testarossa. Yeah. So I looked at that and that Ooh. was, if it wasn't blue, it would have been yeah. probably an easy pick. If See, it had been Ferrari red. I think it looks great. Like it's yep. kind of like the blue, it's got a little bit of green in it. It's got a really dark tan um, uh, interior, like tan and navy. It's got 18,000 miles on it. Um, it's been meticulously, like sort of um, the photos, it, it almost looks brand new as a car. Um, the quality of it is insane. And um, it's had like full engine out services, um, right up until like you know the early part of 2020 um and it's got all of its service records from 1990 so it's like it's you know completely um well documented and everything like that um and look it had a pretty hefty price even for back then at 177 thousand um dollars currently the bid is at um 75 thousand but it ends in nine days, so I'm sure that price is going to creep up a little bit. <laughs> it's probably going to creep a little bit for sure. Yeah. yeah. So the next honorable mention um, is a is a Ford GT from 2006. It's got 160 <laughs> miles on it. I love um, that as well. <laughs> and the only reason why this wasn't my pick is currently because I would, with 250, you know, with 160 miles on, I feel like that. Um, this is more of a, a showpiece rather than a driving car. Yeah. Um, as much as like, you know, I, I hate that in general, but it's like, uh, I just, I, I probably, you know, if I wanted to buy one of these vehicles, I, I'd want to drive it. And um, with 160 miles, I probably would want to find a higher, you know, a higher mileage example to, to really drive rather than this. So the current bid is at $250,000 and it's got 10 days to go. So I'm sure um, that, is going to hit even higher even though i think you can pick into a fairly well-driven Ford gt about that two hundred and fifty thousand dollar mark but because of the low miles on this like you know it's still got the plastic over the badge and the steering wheel for christ's sake um so yeah it that's because they like, just drove one tank and then parked it yeah that's it like it's still got the like <laughs> the paper over the um the interior um like the center console as well so yeah but my pick but the rare thing with that in ash is that that it's a stripe delete as well it doesn't have stripes on it and that's Mm -hmm. a rare sight to see on those so many of them were set with that stripe finish um yeah it's it's interesting to see with the stripe delete but you're right not having the um not having, you know, being a low delivery mile, it kind of just feats the purpose of wanting to have fun. So yeah. what do we pick in the final choice? All right. So it's from 1995. It is a BMW. It's a six-speed manual, and it's an 850 CSI. Ah, oh, nice. Oh. <laughs> So it is, you know, basically the M8 that never was. It's got the S70 V12 engine. Um, the CSI 850 basically is um, when when BMW thought that they couldn't, um, you know, basically that they they didn't feel like they could compete, you know, or there'd be a market for a Ferrari level um, BMW in terms of performance. Um, obviously, they had spent a little bit of money in um, in the development so far, so they turned it basically into the 850 CSI. Um, in terms of performance, like this is 1995, and um, 
you know, or even, you know, it was introduced in 1993 um, through to June 95, like this model was built. Um, but at that point, it could do a zero, 100, zero to 60 in 5.9 seconds. Um, yeah, and for that time, that is a pretty damn good number. Um, so this particular model's got 56,000 miles on it. Um, and currently it's bid is at 50,850 and it's still got six days to go. Um, but That's it looks good money like for what it is. Yeah. And it looks like it, it looks like it's been driven, but in terms of overall, like it is very tidy. The engine bay looks immaculate. Um, you know, it's got all the paperwork. Um, yeah. It's been looked after. Yeah. So it's had, you know, it's only had two owners. Um, first guy owned it for, for 16 years in New York and then the next person owned it for, for you know, just over eight and a half years. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's lived, you know, by the looks of it, a pretty good life. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that's my pick. Mm. So what about you, uh, Mick? Well, I was going to be kind of greedy because I've always loved these. So 2009 Ferrari 599 GTB Fiorano. I just... Yeah, nice. I, I almost picked it. I've always loved these. I saw one at a motor show. You remember those? They were awesome. Yeah. It was the last one I ever went to. Um, and I, just the flying buttress, the design, the shape of these things is just insane. They're so beautiful up up close on the road. They're fast. V12... But I decided to go against it because it, uh, well, I couldn't fit the dog. So uh, <laughs> I've gone for 1992 Lancia Delta Integrale Martini 5 Evolution. <laughs> because they're nice. mental, they sound huh? crazy, and they have the kind of performance. I mean, they're still fast. They're not, they're not Ferrari fast, obviously. Mm. But it's the kind of performance that you can you can leverage. You can take it away for a weekend and scare the shit out of yourself on public roads, and I'm all for that. And it would make the most annoying and obnoxious noise. It's it's right up my alley. Yeah. Um, but the Martini edition too. There's another one. There's actually two um, Integrales for sale. I'm bringing a trailer at the moment. The and there was one? another one last week as well, I think, as well, that's now finished. So, yeah, I sort of noticed a couple of these last week that they're quite popular. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. They just they just do the right thing for me. Actually, mm-hmm. it, it was the car when I used to play um, Gran Turismo 2. Yeah. I had a, I had a Lancia Delta Integrale um wound up as far as it could possibly go in every possible possible respect um mm. respect and it was just i don't know there's just something about these cars that stand out that are a little bit weird there's a lot of great cars that are available at the moment um i almost didn't get past the first line on the on the list of auctions <laughs> um what was it a z8 i think was the first one yeah yeah, I, and I even that that was that, that was nearly my choice. Yeah, yeah, yep. But I just you know all of these cars, they're all oh, not all of them, but a lot of these cars are either like you say showpieces, things that should be hidden away. Yeah. Then I like driving, so I want a car that you can go out and use as a bit of a weapon. I want mm-hmm. you to, I want to go out and you know have a a big day, a big day out. And that certainly hits the mark. I reckon the, yeah. the Lancia Deltas, they, they're just a crazy car. Mm. And they always attract, I, th- I think if you parked one 
um, with some Ferraris, people who think about cars would come and look at the Integrale. It's just, yeah. I don't yeah, know. It's you know, you know what's interesting? Of... You touched on um, just the, the BMW Z8 just real quickly. Um, it's kind of amazing to see how they were not really loved at the time they came out, and even for a long time after that, they were not, you know... Um, yeah. The, the, but... You know, look at and, it. and you could pick one up for like eighty thousand US. You know, like there were so many of them on the market. But even like this one, yes, it's got four K. You know, four thousand miles on it. But oh man, like you know, this is one hundred and fifty-five thousand dollars now. It's still got two days to go, um, and it. And, and, and it's really like that design has really come into its own and it's just so beautiful um, to see. I'll yep. never forget the first time I saw a Z8. I was in um, in in Bonn in Germany and it was a it was a, it was a blue like that dark blue color and it had the hard top to match it. Oh man, I'll never forget it. I whipped out um, my little like point and shoot camera at that time it was like 2008 and i couldn't take a photo fast enough to i was like ah this is amazing (laughs) right um but yeah great looking car it's so i think there's one or two here in australia um hidden away because uh you know the left hand drive but yeah oh they've really come into their own um now almost 20 years later (laughs) i don't know about you guys but i'm I don't know. Maybe I'm getting old, but I'm starting to like the uh, the older, small cars. Uh, things like, uh, well, even the so there's actually this one here, Alfa Romeo GTV 2000. Mm. Small engine, but a twin cam inline four. You know they're just going to sound glorious. Yeah. When they're running hard. I mean, it's an Alfa Romeo, so you probably get 15 minutes out of it, but that'd be an amazing 15 minutes, and you'd look cool while you're waiting for the pickup truck mm-hmm. on the side of the road as well. But I don't, I don't know. I just, I feel like I need something at the moment that can, that you can really wring its neck. You know what I mean? Yeah. So performance cars at the moment, if you floor them, you're going to be breaking the law in, no you know, time. three, four, or five seconds. And the level of performance is so far that you don't really need to exert a great deal of control and awareness over them anymore because they do most of the stuff for you. They can, you can come back from so far out of your comfort zone and do it yeah. safely. Mm. Um, I just feel like I want to have something I can lean on hard and both of us can thank our lucky stars we got out of it alive. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nah, I think it's, um, yeah, I, it's just unfortunate. A lot of these cars are just getting, uh, you know, everyone's feeling the same thing. And so th- these values are, um, are shooting through the roof. I, I know a few people um, on my social feeds are, are talking about even just cars like uh, E30s. Um, one person sold their rust-free 325 E30 um, for like $1,100. You know, just in 2014, wow. and right now they're just like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I did that!" You know, <laughs> and they struggled to sell it at $1,100. And a few other people came in and like, "Yeah, I could have bought a, you know, a bone stock 200 SX for, you know, for X amount, and and now it's worth 10 times as much." And you know, yep. they're and what they ended up buying was a 206 GTI, <laughs> like it, and it's worth 0.3 <laughs> of what it was when I bought it. Um, yep. So yeah. 
do you I reckon in uh, in ten years' time they're going to be worth twice as much as what he paid for it? <laughs> Look, you know, I'm, I'm going to say no. <laughs> Probably not, but you know, um, car buyers are classic car buyers are pretty irrational sometimes. So who knows? <laughs> Anything's possible. Uh, but let's let's smash through some of the um, international news. Some of it. Um, Comes back to uh, the the Mustang and uh, the V8 Bronco or the Bronco in general. Um, so first up, uh, obviously, um, uh, Joel, you know, oh, a new Bronco you're excited out, about it? this. Um, yeah, in, in case you missed it, um, so must uh, Ford have released um, or at least uh, shown off uh, an interesting prototype, Joel? Yeah, the Mustang Mark E. We talked about this last week, Ash, on the on the show or previously that um, that we'd seen some spy footage of a of a Mark E body testing some kind of setup um, at a track somewhere in America and looked very very quick. And we kind of had some ideas that it was either going to be something that was being created by Ford and in conjunction with either Vaughn Gittin Jr. and Ken Block. Um, for some kind of cool wild vehicle. And yeah, we were pretty much on the money because uh, Ford announced this week the Mark E 1400 prototype, which is a 1400 horsepower um, Mark E uh, prototype, which is unbelievable to watch. Um, I wrote a story for the site during the week, um, which you probably, if you've been following the site, you would have already read. If not, go and check it out, um, mm-hmm. where we shared the awesome video that Ford Performance put together. Together. But this thing is a work of art. Um, Vaughan Gittin Jr. has been teasing um, shots of the rear wing and, and the front sort of downforce wings during the week. Um, so we kind of had an idea that we were on the on the money with what was happening. Um, so Vaughan Gittin Jr. and his um, RTR business have done a lot of the work, you know, 10,000 hours work of, worth of development work in conjunction with Ford on this vehicle. Um, the thing runs seven motors. Um, it runs 232,300 foot-pounds of downforce at 160 mile an hour. Um, and as I said, it makes 1,400 horsepower. It's designed for track, for drag strip, for gymkhana, for drifting. It does mm. everything. Um, check out the video that we put posted on the site during the week uh, of it, what it can do in everything. I mean, Ford launched it in conjunction with it being run against a NASCAR, against um, Vaughan Gittin Jr.'s teammate, um, Chelsea Denofra, in their drift car. And then they also run it against the GT350R uh, race car. Um, which Ken Block's Mustang. Ken Block's Mustang, which was also developed by RTR, um, mm-hmm. which is... Um, which is uh, Vaughan Gittin Jr.'s modification business. And, and we had a tip-off of this because people had seen an RTR F-150 on, on site when the when this car was being tested. Um, and, yeah, look, it, it's absolutely amazing. They've taken technology from the GT4 race car with the um, the Brembo brakes and the ABS setup. Um the technology behind this thing is just mind-blowing with what they've done uh, in terms of what they've done with obviously adding, you know, the, the seven wings, the aerody- the seven engines, the, the seven motors, the set, the, the aerodynamics the and, and everything else with it. it it's just unbelievable to see it. And, and you look at some of the photos that we shared on the article during the week, the, the fans set up to keep the system cool, um, 
you know, it's had a particular battery system designed so that it that it's designed to be cooled as it charges with a dielectric coolant system. Um, yeah, it's it's absolutely phenomenal with what it is. Um, mm. it, it's only been currently released uh, as a prototype. We we saw it in this release video, but it will make an appearance at an upcoming NASCAR race soon. So as to what whether it'll be a static display or whether they'll run it on track, which is pretty cool. But um, it was designed as an option designed by Ford and, and Ford Performance to, to really show what is possible with this electric style of vehicle. Uh, the Mark E has had a little bit of flack in terms of what it is. Um, you know, people aren't really fans of the Mustang name being used with the marquee, but this kind of really shows a lot of people what the potential is. Mm. Um, the marquee GT is going to be an interesting vehicle because it is obviously the, the sports version of this um, SUV electric car. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, a, it's, it's, gr- it's a great thing from Ford to really show what it is having people like art, the RTR and Vaughn and obviously Ken Block. Ken Block has also shared a video of him driving it as well. Cause he was one of the first guys to drive the marquee when it was a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Ford's really getting behind this. They're really pushing to show that there is, you know, there is life in this electric concept style and just some of the the some of the feedback i've had during the week on the article and that that we shared you know a lot of people are are, are really blown away by what it's capable of now that you show that you know electric can be cool it can be fun it can be fast um you know so many people uh, have seen what tesla can do but this is just another level in terms of it so uh, it's cool to really show what ford's about and, and what can be achieved yeah Oh look! I, no, think I don't it's like it. Super exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a shame that we probably won't see anything like it uh, hit the streets. But you know, I think it shows promise that you know maybe there is a, a pathway to to see um, you know a performance version or a Shelby version. Maybe who knows um, of the. I'd like the to see one that um, Mackie. I'd like to see a a electric car of some description uh, tackling the. Uh, World Time Attack series. Mm, absolutely. Just Maybe to see how they go. This, I mean, that's yeah, yeah. Well, that's the first thing I thought of when I saw all the um, aerodynamics it's got on it. Uh, it's a pretty serious amount of um, downforce on the front end, in particular. Obviously, there's a giant mm. wing on the back as well. Um, but yeah, that'd be really interesting to see how it how it'd fare in that sort of challenge. Look, well, like- we'll see it bring being brought down under uh, for the World Time Attack. Well, they brought the Ford GT down under run at Bathurst. I'd love to see them bring this here. And, you know, for Ford Australia, it, it'd be a cool little, you know, I mean, we're not going to see the marquee here. So I can't understand if they didn't. But if they in the future would like to bring it here, um, it would be cool to see them bring the marquee down under. We're not, we're not going to get the Ford GT and they still brought it here. So it'd be nice to see the, this thing come here with even Vaughn behind the wheel. Um, and run it around Bathurst, you know, maybe mm. not this year, but maybe next year. That would be a pretty cool thing to to see. So in other words, Ford. Unless they're great. scared, you're scared, Ford. Maybe scared. <laughs> hey, they brought the G the Ford GT here, so I don't think they're scared at all. I think uh, you know, it's a matter of probably making it happen. Mm. But I think at the with the the coolness of what this thing is, I think it's going to be pulled left, right, and center around the US first, and then maybe once it's finished its commitments there, they mm. they might have the ability to see that it's available and bring it down under. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, look, even you know, and I think uh, you know, Ford a bit of uh, on a bit of a streak at the moment in terms of winning uh, winning people over, and um, you know, we probably don't need to spend too much time talking about it because we spent a lot of time last week. But uh, obviously, with the Bronco um, coming along, you know, from the very beginning, they made a big deal about you know how they're working with third parties and building accessories and things like that. But um, to even go one step further, a, a tuner out of Texas um, called Pax Power. They've teased um, that they have a, a 758 horsepower V8 swap already to go um, for the new Ford Bronco. So if, um, yeah, as the, the driving.ca um, article says, if the 310 horsepower six under the SUV's hood doesn't cut it, well, there's this option. Um, so yeah, if uh, if you're not happy about that, honestly, I reckon if there, well, I don't even know if there's going to be a SEMA show this year, but if there was, it's going to be the Bronco show, yeah. really. <laughs> Absolutely, there's so much potential with it, um, and I think it, you know, Ford have really nailed, you know, they understand who the audience is for this because, yeah, all I keep seeing on on things like Twitter is is people from the US going, oh yeah, like notable people going, oh yeah, here's my, you know, here's the pre-order page for my Bronco. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's exciting. And I, I don't Even though it this... does look like that international scout that um, Joel's going to buy. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I think it just shows that, look, you know, I think this is going to be just the first in, in many um, not just accessories, but, you know, fundamental, like, um, really big kind of uh, modifications that people will be able to do uh, to the Bronco. Oh, yeah. They're going to go yeah, crazy. It's, it's just the start. Yeah, it's going to get busy, I think, definitely. And like yeah. Mick said, I think the the SEMA show, if it, if it happens, and I think there is talk they're going to try and make it happen as best as they can. But, yeah, it may be a, um, a Bronco show this year. But, the, mm. like, you know, they're seeing this cool thing of putting a VAD into the Bronco is um, is pretty awesome. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but look, you know, if you're customizing a Ford Bronco and spending, you know, probably, you know, obscene amounts of money on that isn't enough for you, um, maybe the uh, the luxury tag. I want to hear you pronounce this. Ares. Ares, <laughs> um, I reckon. Ares. Well, the Greek god Ares is spelled that way. So I don't know. Maybe someone listening can correct us. Well, uh, Hasn't Ares got an I in it? A R I E S? I don't know. I know, but the next word I'm just going to it's call Ares. it prosciutto. It's Ares. A R E S is the the Greek god of war. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> the the main point is basically look. Um, they're going to be showing off uh, four hand-built design vehicles. Um, you know, so there's going to be there's the, the couple we've, we've seen teased before. So the Progetto Uno, which um, looks like it's uh, built off perhaps a, a Lamborghini of sorts. Um, I haven't I haven't looked too far into this one. Um, they've also built a, a Pantera out of it. It has. It's very yeah, it's very, very much sort of more modern Pantera. Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, and they don't discriminate between four and two wheels. They've got a, an Aries um, the R9T Scrambler, which just, uh, you know, looks, I really am digging um, the design of this bike thing. It looks really cool. Chunky tires, but kind of like cafe racer style. Yeah, it's very, very, cooler. very that style. Yeah, but cool. 
in a in a really cool way i guess looks great um but yeah, like it's kind of nice to see that you know these there's there's people out there willing to spend crazy money to to let vehicle designers and, and coach builders i guess sort of play around with these sorts of things don't you think um to, to come up with you know vehicles we wouldn't normally see in a in a mass production kind of way yeah like it's cool to see this sort of thing this thing being designed and that these kind of this salon privy has been an event that's been kind of very much on that sort of uh, calendar for the few for the last few years and it's it's quite mm. popular so mm. it's nice seeing that this kind of you know brand is these areas design is is trying to do something that is different and, and generate the interest around these kind of shows yeah yeah i just noted they'd say that the inspiration for the um for the progretto is um is the pantera so that <laughs> that would explain why it looks like exactly yeah because it's based on an inspiration so mm. so they've also yeah. did a so one of the other vehicles is a um is the aries design coupe um for the for the bentley Mulsanne. so i think what they've done is basically taken the four door and made it a two door and just gone nuts uh, as only you can do with a with a, an already expensive Bentley <laughs> and then totally, you know, using the base and, and, and building something new, but yeah, beautiful cars. Um, so they're going to be debuting in, in September. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously with, um, with, uh, COVID we'll, we'll see if that changes at all, but I'm sure we'll, we'll get images at some point. So yeah, moving from there, we look at uh, moving into more sort of customization with the um, only just nine months after announcing the project, the Aston Martin Callum Vanquish 25 by R Reforged has been revealed, which is a uh, sort of a, a designer, Ian Callum, has basically taken the Vanquish and and created their own sort of concept um, off it. Um, and yeah, it, look, it's it is a effectively it looks and is effectively an Aston Martin, but it's had a little bit more customization, bigger wheels, interesting redesigned front end and things like that. So um yeah, it's it's interesting to see something like this coming out and that there is still a, a market for these, you know, bespoke um vehicle tuning manufacturers to create these kind of vehicles. Yeah, I think um Again, it's it's. It was a pretty it was a pretty rough base to start with, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. But thank just, you, uh, thank you, customers for for making this possible for us to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's designed for those people that want a bespoke style of vehicle that is something different, and 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 Callum and his team wouldn't be sort of doing it unless there's a market for it. Yeah. People want that uniqueness and and things like that. So. Mm. Um, yeah, look, it's it's cool to see, um, and you know, it's nice to see it see it revealed. But you know, we go from something that is sort of custom made to to sort of something that's more exp- interesting in terms of the mass produce. And Skoda is going to do their world pre- world preview of their Enyaq um, IV, um, which is their first sort of all electric SUV. Yeah, I think you know it, it, um, it fits along with um, with uh, what Sangong are doing. Is that 
you know the SUV market is really the the big seller um, for for traditional vehicles, and it, obviously it makes sense that um, you know we start seeing a lot more EVs fit into that space where people are already wanting to buy a vehicle from. Um, because before, you know, obviously leading the way with Tesla, but also uh, General Motors, Toyota, um, and um, and a few other brands like Volkswagen and Audi even is that they're focused on small cars for those EVs but you know the real focus should be um, or probably has probably should have been is um, in the SUVs not only do you get a little bit more space to fit a slightly larger battery um, but it's already in a space where people are actively looking to, to buy a car yeah exactly this EV you know range is, is growing massively I'm intrigued to see what this thing looks like when it's done um, and and what it'll do you know talking range of up to 500 Ks um, and I think it'll be interesting to see what it does in the market you know Skoda have been growing quite quite big in Oz with the, the likes of the Kodiak. Um, yeah. The Kamik is near here now. The Superb and Octavia have done well. Um, you know, the Rapide and the Scala are starting to grow um, with the Karok as well. So, yeah, this will be interesting to see, you know, where you know whether it's coming to Oz for one, um, mm-hmm. whether or not it you know it's coming out in on the first of September, so we still have just over a month before it before it launches. But whether it comes to Oz, what it'll do, what we will see in terms of spec. But yeah, I think it'll be interesting, you know, adding another sort of EV into that, you know. Um, Volkswagen sort of family of vehicle um, and whether there's an, an uptake from um, uh, from current Skoda owners or that group, you know, Volkswagen group owners, you know, particularly with COVID as it is at the moment and, and people maybe not doing as many Ks, I think the, mm-hmm. the electric um, vehicles are probably more crucial than ever uh, in Oz for people to help kind of reduce their their costs of what they're spending on travel. As long as they can put a uh, a, a bicycle on the roof, they'll they'll be all right. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what they'll scooters. So <laughs> they, just, they just need one to be on a tour to France, and they'll sell a couple of thousand of them. Yeah, look at that. What they say how big they are. So is it between the Karok and the? Uh, and the Kodiak? My guess is that by looking at that side profile, it looks very between Karok and Kodiak. Yeah, which is really where they need to, where I think they need to fill that gap. Because um, I quite like the Karok, but it's a little bit too small. And I do like the Kodiak, but it, I, I want a five-seater. I don't want to have that extra size of the of the seven. It's just a mm. fraction too big, and the Karok is a fraction too small. I actually quite like the Karok. Um, the design is really good. The space is quite good. It's quite surprising. I, like I sat in one and tried it on for size. It was um, pretty decent. They've got a nice green too, which is completely um, yeah. That green is distinct nice. from how good a car is, but <laughs> yeah, it does does look quite good. Um, but yeah, they just need that that little gap in the middle, which I'd quite happily fill with a. Um, Octavia RS, but wife says no. So <laughs> it's just maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's right. No, it's only because my brother already has one, so we don't want to be the same. Oh, fair enough. And uh, yeah, we did do that um, Drive Tribe quiz too, Ash, and you're the outlier. So Joel and I are both Skoda. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what brand did you get? Remind us again. So I, I got Koenigsegg. 
Um. <laughs> they don't have steering wheel heaters, do they? I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't, you can probably option it. That's <laughs> yeah, it's a good chance you can get it if you wanted it. Car, they'll, they'll do it for you. Um, yep. Yep. But yeah, I you know, it was a, I think I think the bit that probably determined me being uh, being given the uh, Koenigsegg option is a particular face I I chose of um uh, of uh, Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> I think that was the defining point. Not any none of the other questions, because um, I chose the really <laughs> smug looking one when he's driving. Um, that's that's what I chose because it's you know <laughs> sometimes it's actually I, I think that's what I picked too. Oh, oh, there you go. Well, I think it just knows who we are and, and gets it right. <laughs> yeah, it, just, it just knows you're and weird. Yeah. That's it. We're boring old skaters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look, they're both practical in their own way. Yeah. Just depends on what you need to do, that's all. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, getting back to reality a little bit more, let's just touch on, I think, on a couple um, of last bits of news. Um I think one is that Lexus. They don't make a, they don't make a lot of noise about their hybrids. But the thing is, is that when I see them on the road, when I see a Lexus on the road, the majority of them are the the hybrid model, the you know the H model designation. Yeah. Um, and what I think is pretty cool is what Lexus have done in in the in the United States is that their 2021 NX hybrid um, is getting an F Sport. Um, option with you know with black lines and everything like that. So they're really kind of going down that that route of um, you know, making you know really making an, an actual sporty model um out of their hybrid vehicles rather than just sort of the traditional uh, internal combustion. Yeah, it's interesting that they've. I mean, how long is the NX going to continue on? In this generation, though, surely they're due for a for an update. Like I drove mm-hmm. the NX, and it's it's a really nice car. But in like I, I don't know, you you kind of know that they're um, aging a bit. <clears throat> but everything inside it just everything fits really well. Yeah. It's the same as all the Lexuses, you know, it's got a really nice quality finish and everything to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really expecting something like a he's the new nx but this yeah. is a, actually it's a, it's a bit tricky because again we're talking about the us here so when they say 2021 nx they're actually talking about the 2020 version yeah because yeah. they name everything one year in advance it's like all their basketball players are two inches taller than reality <laughs> so if you check their stats they're not actually really that tall yeah, yeah. but um um but yeah still i i guess i nothing really stood out to me when i drove the nx that said to me that there'd be a like the there'd be a sporty version didn't mm. feel particularly sporty i mean you don't really sit down in the nx like it like a sports car type thing yeah but again i guess there's there's plenty of suvs that are that are guilty of that same mm. well they all say sport utility vehicle don't yeah. they well, this is this is probably a, a little bit of a, a parts bin dive to um you know, sort of make way for yeah, add value towards the end, yeah, exactly. Because we we know that you know typically like special editions and you know a, a very minor you know um, sports edition or or anything like that kind of 
comes towards the end of a product line to, to move that last bit of stock. But you know, maybe this shows that there is potential that maybe in the new model, there is a little bit more focus on, um, uh, you know, a sportier styled hybrid ver- rather than just a, you know, what probably is plagued hybrid models within standard. Um, you know, we talked about it like we, even with the, with the Hyundai's um, going that, you know, there is a little bit potential to, to make these a bit more sportier and a little bit more exciting um from a, a visual yeah, and performance angle um yep yeah because otherwise it's kind of like you know the luxury line from bmw where it's like uh, yeah it's nice but you kind of buy the m sport you want the m sport and everything um nobody wants the luxury line you just get the luxury line if that's you know that's the last <laughs> thing left <laughs> it's like you know and i think you know these these hybrids and, and electric cars deserve to to get the sporty treatment as well because they've got the performance um it's not a yeah i don't know the only, kind of thing. the only person that i personally know that owns an nx um and it, it is the it is the hybrid um mm. He just bought an RC350 because it wasn't sporty enough. So <laughs> yeah. he's got both. Yeah, yeah but he kept yeah. both. But not a nice choice, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know. Just doesn't seem to fit with me. I I get the same get the same rub out of this for the F Sport going on an SUV that I don't find particularly sporty. The same as having the M Sport badge on cars that aren't sporty in the BMW range as well. It mm. just mm. I don't know. It doesn't sit well with me. Um, the, the NX is a really nice car, but F Sport. I don't know if you're trying to develop a um, an identity around a badge, and you want a, some sort of sporty credibility. Putting it on an SUV that nobody's going to really drive in any sporting intent. It's mm, a bit of a stretch for sure. me. Yeah. Well, maybe it's a sign of the, a sign of the times because uh, our final bit of news. We've, there's a ton of news that we won't be able to get to um, in this episode, but probably the most significant one, and, and it's a good segue from from that, is that the um, if 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 you've known sports cars in the past and and owned any sort of performance car, chances are they've had um, BBS wheels on them um they're yeah. very well known for um you know lightweight great performance and and reliability from a from a, you know wheel point of view and um they've just recently filed for for bankruptcy so is this a is this a covid related thing or or is it a you know is it a cash flow and they just need to rearrange their debts like what you know is this the end of bbs or is this just a, a reshuffle you hope that it's Don't just maybe know. a reshuffle and that someone will buy them um, and effectively, you know, come to their rescue and buy them at a, at a cheaper thing. I mean, in terms of what they do and where they sit in terms of what they offer, you'd like to think that maybe, I mean, bankruptcy particularly sort of in America and stuff is designed to and kind of even here to a certain degree is allowing allowing you to kind of refinance, reset yourself up again, start again, um, trim the fat effectively and and kind of relaunch yourself into the market. So we can only hope that someone does the same thing with BBS and that doesn't disappear altogether. Mm. So I think this isn't the first time they've um 
they they've filed for bankruptcy. The last time it happened was in, in 2011, um, and that was a, a restructuring to to prevent um, insolvency. So, look, the thing is, is that what probably a lot of people don't um, necessarily realize is that um, a lot of car makers don't build all of their parts from scratch. So whether it's the the headlights to transmissions and the alloy wheels, they have partners which they work with to to develop these items and and build them because it helps them save money and um, it helps people who really know what they're doing with that, you know, their area of specialization to to do it right. And um, so a lot of um, performance cars and even um, just uh, mainstream models have um have you know OEM stamped uh, BBS wheels. Um, one of the most ones that I love the most, uh, I reckon, of the recent time. If you're a BMW fan, the most recent, most popular design is the M3 CSL wheel. That is a BBS designed lightweight alloy wheel. Um, and and many other aftermarket wheels have been influenced by that design for a long time. Um, so what makes me really um curious to see you know where exactly the company is at for this like the, you know their site it's a tough market environment but surely you would think that yes um the the car manufacturing has slowed down a little bit um obviously with factory shutdowns and everything like that but surely they would have contracts uh for for a lot of major car companies um to be supplying and designing alloy wheels for them that they would probably be able to to get through this um yeah, it's it's obviously it's very sad because you know whether it's a uh, you know nineteen seventies Porsche nine elevens um, or nine three fives or all the way through to to Ferrari and even um, you know. Uh, you know gt3 racing and all that kind of thing all different racing classes you know it's been bbs wheels or bbs has been a um part of that you know in supplying wheels and yeah i think um surely if 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 they can't restructure somebody else is going to swoop in and and buy them because they've got a hell of a amount of um uh you know brand value and um obviously you know those oem contracts are, are pretty important too yeah, exactly, and that's and that's the thing we'd like to see that hopefully someone will sort of help them out and and they can kind of progress from there. But, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll just have to sort of watch with um, watch on and just see what sort of happens from uh, from there. Yeah, yeah. So you look- see that the actual statement though that necessary step to prevent an imminent insolvency uh, within the coming months due to sudden omission of confirmed payments. So that mm, does sound okay. like, like yeah, you're yeah. saying, you know, the OEMs um, saying, hey, payments. we're not building anything. We can't buy anything. We can't give you any money because we're not making any money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even so, I mean, the, the tough conditions too, they've got, I mean, obviously they've got a, a, a pretty solid reputation. Um, but as all these other markets develop and get better at building things um you know the comp- the the competition is is getting pretty intense and when you're starting to look at um some of the larger um markets like china for example obviously they're setting up capabilities within their own manufacturing environment obviously like chinese vehicle manufacturing has really gone strength after strength for the last mm-hmm. sort of five to ten years uh, with joint ventures from from major global companies so um you know volkswagen and general motors they all have joint ventures in china and it's it's the growth market where the, most of the cars are selling now yeah so previously they used to have say like the um 
uh, a few years ago, the the largest selling um, volume car in China was some horrible little K car van thing. I can't remember what it was called, but it was basically a um, a Suzuki carry van. Essentially, was their biggest selling car, and that used to be what their motor industry was. You know, their volumes were building those tiny little cars, but um, Cadillac now. Um, you know, source their vehicles from China. All and obviously, as you're starting to manufacture those vehicles of a higher quality caliber, and um, you know that have global requirements, then the capability of your manufacturing industry becomes stronger. They'd be able to, to build higher quality products. And places like BBS, which have already gone through that rapid growth in the years previous. Mm. Um, you know, all of a sudden they've sort of got to the point of saturation with their existing contracts and all the new contracts are occurring in places they can't reach. So I, I don't know if that's the cause or not, but it's certainly, um, it can't be helping them. They're now competing with um, people that are essentially, are companies that essentially have um, captive markets. And that's one of the things with China as well. When you build in China and you have a joint venture, it has to be a joint venture with a company that um, you know has at least some control from from China um, from the government. So it's um, you know it's their way of assuring you know everyone else would scream protectionism if it happened in any other country, but in China it's part of their um, their way of thinking. You know. Yeah, that's that's so, yeah. your business. Whether you like it or not, you know that's that's just how uh, business is done. Yeah, that's right. But in, but let's let's jump into uh, some motorsport news real quick. It's um we've had a another you know three weeks with a Formula One. I think um it's uh, we've got a weekend off. Uh, this week, but uh, but then we're heading over to Silverstone. Seems like uh, you know that it's the Formula One season is the gift that keeps on giving. Oh yeah, it's great this year in terms of you know what we've been able to get in terms of a championship. When you know back a few months, we really didn't think we'd get any racing at all, and and we've been very very lucky in terms of what we've been able to get. You know the Austria doubleheader, uh, and then obviously Hungary last weekend, which was a was a ripper race in terms of you know for you look at what Max Verstappen was able to do from crashing on the warm up lap to finishing second on the podium, uh, absolutely brilliant by him and his team and, and Red Bull. Um, and then obviously we're forging ahead to to Great Britain next weekend for, for two rounds. Um, and then we head to, you know, Spain and Belgium. Um, and then we're going to see obviously a couple of extra rounds now um, in Italy and, and Russia. Um, and then we're obviously going to now see a couple of extra rounds. So we're going to see quite a full season um, mm-hmm. in terms of what we we're going to see from what we thought we wouldn't be, you know, we would be having we're going to see Portomino and and the Nuremberg ring um, added as well as a two-day event in Imola um you know, it, it's it's fantastic for the championship to to be able to get these extra rounds in um you know they've effectively pulled the pin on on the Americas we're not going to probably see um 
in the US and Mexico. We're probably going to go straight from obviously Imola across to um, the Middle East, um, but that hasn't been confirmed. They are saying that they'll probably confirm that in the next sort of few weeks. Um, but yeah, we're going to at this stage we're going to go in in October. We're going to go to the Nuremberg Ring, to Porto Minio in at the end of October, um, and then obviously from there we're going to go to Imola, uh, which is which is great. You know, we're, we're going to able to see more races. Um, they've been able to bring the championship to 13 um, events with, you know, sort of 10, 10 races. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's really good to see what they've done and what they've been able to achieve uh, in, you know, considering how many other events they've had to pull the pin on, you know, Brazil, US, Mexico, and Canada have all fallen by the wayside, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, we're still going to see a pretty good championship at the at the end of the day. So, yeah. I love that they've added some um, some new tracks, though, just to spice yeah. things up a bit. Well, Oh, it's great. You know, this, this team's going to go, they're going to have no data from any of these races. Um, you know, it's going to be, everyone's going to be on the same foot. They won't be able to, they can obviously sort of test on simulators and things like that, but the, there's nothing like being able to have um, the ability to, to drive on a new track. Um, the idea of going to a two-day event um, as well, which will be very, very interesting for um for Imola is kind you know in terms of a, a sort of cost cutting and and having everything grant sort of jam-packed into two days will will make interesting more things interesting for um for you know basically pushing everything forward so if you have a problem you're going to be have to be very quick to try and fix any issues that you've got yep I, i've got to say though I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that um that we didn't get vietnam yeah. I was really looking forward to that. It is a shame, but I think that it's just that too far to push the travel at the moment. Um, you know, the Middle East is yeah. a little bit easier to deal with. Um, it is a shame that we've missed out sort of on China and Vietnam and things like that. But, yeah, they've they've really tried to, to look at, a, at what they can do in, in trying to keep it as sort of as, as compact um, as best in terms of travel and obviously having this whole – ability to keep everyone you know so tight uh as a as a group traveling um to so that you know they can obviously keep this testing up um so they don't have the the problem with um with what they're doing in terms of you know the testing and and stuff and trying to keep everyone in these groups that they can eliminate people out of if there's an issue with a covid test and things like that as well So yeah, it's um, yeah. You know, in terms of what we're what we're seeing, uh, the you know the rumours are already starting for next season. We're not even finished with with this season. The the current talk is that um, you know the the the. Um, uh, the talk is that possibly that one of the stars of this season, Perez, is probably going to maybe leave, um, and that you know that they're talking that that because uh, Racing Point is obviously going to be changing next year to to Aston Martin Racing, and they will no longer be, uh, in, you know, be under that sort of Racing Point name. And we know that probably uh, you know Vettel is obviously out of a rate out of a drive next year uh, in terms of 
what he's doing and Ferrari have obviously let him go, but there's talk that he may end up at Aston slash Racing Point. Um, and we know that Lance Stroll probably won't go anywhere, being that dad owns the team. Probably um, not, yeah. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, Perez, who's probably the stronger of the two drivers, um, you know, he currently is in contract till the end of um, 2022. Um there is talk that he may he may move on, um, and that you know, um, Vettel may take his role. But yeah, we just we just don't know at this stage. You know, it's it's sad to think that that even though you know Perez has been a good driver, that um, that probably Stroll will get the, the get the drive. But there's talk that um, you know there's seats at uh, Alfa Romeo available and and things like that. But you know the further down you feel that you look, they're not you know obviously as good a teams as what we're seeing at the at the other end. So um, yep. I'd like to see obviously Perez hanging around, mm. but you know who knows what the the rest of the silly season will show us. Do do you think the the speculation for the next season has really um, distracted us a little bit from everything that's happening in uh, in the Formula One at the moment? Because well, it's, you know, this we still is have the... so much we don't know about this season. Even you know, we're adding yeah. tracks all the time. You know, it, it it's it, surely it must be frustrating for for teams as well that you know that and and it was kickstarted by Vettel and and Ferrari, um, but. You know, people, you know, they had barely, you know, this season still feels like, you know, we're underway, but we've barely started. And, you know, it feels weird having all these things in motion for the next season. And, you know, next season is, is you know, is arguably going to be as as odd as it is ever going to be because, um, you know, we've got the regulations frozen. So nothing really is going to change too drastically um, in terms of uh, team development or anything like that. So it's going to be kind of like a holding year um, before we, uh, you know, take the plunge into the new regulations. So yeah, it's, it just feels weird that we spend, um, you know, there's so much focus on, next year when oh, there's still so much to go and, and there's and, still so much going on yeah and, yeah exactly and, you know, I mean, teams it, are still you know red bull is is facing a ton of challenge like it's not just even ferrari who is in a in a tough spot there's a whole heap of teams in a you know they're still working out you know how they're gonna compete this season and it's resulted in fantastic races but you know they're still finding out where they're going and 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 yeah, I don't know. It's it's just like, yeah, it's a bit weird. Um, still it's makes that, it very. It's that time of year. Right. I think that's the thing yeah. as well is that traditionally this time of year is when silly season kicks off. And yeah. even though we've basically been later, you know, we, we're later. The season is earlier, even though we're effectively later in the season. That it's still yeah. talking about this kind of happening and things like that. So look, we we really. Don't really know um, in terms of where everything's going, but we can sort of kind of only hope that um, you know so many of the drives are locked down. But there are a few. Obviously, the the Vettel situation makes things very interesting, but it is kind of taking away from it. Um, I suppose because there is so much unknown with the season ahead um, that we were only just getting you know extra races out of the, at, at this yeah. rate. Um, so yeah, who knows where, where we'll end up? So. Yeah, so but let's let's touch on some of the local racing. Um 
that's going on because uh, obviously things are with uh, <laughs> kind of Queensland is becoming the hub of sport and particularly uh, motorsport at the moment. So we've got a lot of Victorian and New South Wales supercars teams shifting up to to Queensland. Yeah, right. The with the onslaught of the issues that New South Wales have had of their recent outbreak and and Queensland being very very tight on their border restrictions and things like yeah. that. A, a lot of the teams were told after the recent event at Sydney Motorsport Park that they really should be effectively um, and obviously you know because Darwin's coming up, they really should be probably all packing up and moving into Queensland so yeah. that they can serve out some time in Queensland to be all effectively you know um negative in terms of any COVID tests they have to have before they head across to Darwin because Darwin is now going to be a double header. So we're going to mm-hmm. get two round two rounds in Darwin back to back um in the next few weeks. Um and so yeah most of the um Queensland teams have uh, sorry the New South Wales teams and Victorian teams have packed up. Um for example, you know, even Team Sydney have effectively packed up from moved back from where they've originally come from and gone back to the Gold Coast. Um, the uh, the rest of the Victorian teams, Walkinshaw and Dreddy, Team 18, Kelly Racing, Penwright and Tickford have all moved north. Um, yeah. Team 18 have moved into Ross Stone's facility. Kelly Racing have moved into Triple Two Offshore Racing, uh, uh, an, an offshore powerboat racing team. Uh, facility. Penwright moved into Paul Morris. They took up his uh, offer to move into the normal motorplex. Tickford have moved into SeaWorld, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and Walkinshaw have moved into Showtime, which is part of um, uh, uh, part of Dreamworld and, and, and that sort of setup. Um so yeah, it, it's it, it's um, it's cool to see that the um, the guys have been able to move and, and effectively react to that for the double header, which coming up at Hidden Valley on August eight and nine, and then obviously we then have fifteen and sixteen um, in Darwin. So it's you know that's that's really cool, um, mm-hmm. and that the fact that they will be there, it's good to see supercars are so proactive in this area. They're, they're testing teams on a regular basis. They're really trying trying to make sure that, you know, everyone in this hub effectively is clean, similar to what the um, uh, the AFL have been doing and a lot of the other teams, you know, for example, the NBA and stuff over in um, in Florida. So, yeah, they're pushing really hard to, to try and make sure that everyone is, 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 is staying in this effective bubble um, and that they're really trying to um, have these negative tests before they move across to, to Darwin. And, and then the latest talk is that we'll probably have a double header in Townsville. Um, now that the guy, the teams have moved into Queensland um, and they can move across safely to the Northern Territory, they'll then be able to move back. And the fact is that if they do a double header in Townsville, which is great for, you know, for people in far North Queensland being able to get two events, who mm. knows how many mm. of those will be allowed to attend. Um, the talk is at the moment that numbers will probably be quite limited, if any, in terms of spectator. But, you know, for Townsville um, event organisers, being able to run the event over, you know, multiple weekends is really cool. Um, you know, the, the the other thing is is that we've got Bathurst coming back up in New South Wales in October. Um, they're currently saying that they'll be there's a sort of the public sale of, of um, camping tickets for Bathurst is on hold um, because I think they're thinking that they may try and restrict that as much as possible. 
Um, so the latter half of the year could be very, very interesting. You know, I think we will probably see another rejuggle of um, the the calendar. Um, I really don't think Sandown will probably happen. Um, I think, hopefully, I really hope that Bathurst goes ahead um, if the New South Wales um, outbreak does settle and it doesn't move out towards Bathurst or regional New South Wales. I think it'll be okay. Um, but then there's also talk that, you know, the guys may head back to Adelaide um, and, and go to the bend uh, for maybe a, a double race finish to finish the season. I assume um, they'll uh, take the long way to to get there. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a safe bet. I, I don't think the teams will be allowed, particularly the, the New South Wales and Victorian teams, I don't think they'll be allowed to return home. They'll mm. probably have to go, you know, a longer route through it to 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 cross the borders in in the legal way possible, so they don't they don't transfer through you know the hotspot areas of New South Wales and Victoria. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it was gonna it's gonna be an interesting season um, to finish off. Um, again, like F one, the guys at Supercars have done an amazing job to be able to do um, and put this season together to get as many rounds as possible. Um, and look, it hasn't been the best situation. You know, we've seen some iconic events that'll that will get missed uh you know we're not going to probably see a, a gold coast we're not going to see um you know newcastle we're not going to probably see a sand down hopefully we will see a bathurst but the rest of the season is kind of up in the air but if we can you know move into these sort of hubs uh and allow the teams to work and and keep safe in these areas then i think you know it's great to see that that racing is is going to continue mm. yeah it's like you said isn't it it's uh, i mean Racers get to race, and that's that's essentially what matters. They've actually managed to, like like you said, you know, great job to them to actually get a season out of the very challenging circumstances, and their ability to react um, to border restrictions and the like. They've really been quick, and the teams have been quick to react as well and made sure they got across the border when when they could. Um, obviously, they've still got pretty strict uh, requirements for testing and the like, so. They're still trying to keep everyone as safe as possible and still get races racing. So, um, yeah, kudos. Kudos to them. Yeah, well, look, a uh, ton of news. Uh, and, look, it's uh, it's incredible the, um, the, you know, all of the things that I think companies and, and racing teams are still achieving, even, uh, you know, as the world still is, um, you know, recovering and, and uh, also... I guess not even recovering, but still progressing through the uh, challenges which they have lying ahead. Um, but look, if there's, uh, we'll wrap it up here. But look, if you have any particular news that uh, you think we missed or you want us to to discuss, um, shoot us an email. Send us an email at shows at dailyautofix.com. Uh, you can follow Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo and uh, Mick McWilliams at Low Flight Tech. And um, look, uh, thank you for for joining us again. Thanks, uh, Joel and Mick. Thanks, gents. Thank you. No worries. And um, look, uh, we can't wait to to see you back here next week. Until then, uh, stay safe and uh, keep driving.